Welcome to another edition of the Social Proof Podcast. We find people who have built something sustainable, and not only people that built something, because not all people that build something can teach it or show other people how to do it, but we really try to find teachers. And today, we probably have the best in the game. When it comes to teaching, teaching how to like duplicate Mm-hmm. Your success. Mm-hmm. So, we got my mm-hmm. brother, Mr. Maddie J. In the building. How you feeling? Hey, yeah. hey, 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 hey. The time is now. <laughs> the time has Don't come. Don't be arrogant, brother. Calm down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we've been wow. waiting to have this interview for at least two for years. For sure. For sure. Way too long. Way too Man, long. God came yeah, through. Yeah, just, to, just so everybody know, this is my real brother from, from church. That's like, a fact. spiritual brother. That's a fact. We're in church every Sabbath day, mm-hmm. keeping it holy. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm and the conversations aren't necessarily just like, yo, how much money you make today? No, definitely like, it's, not. It, it's, it, it's the character hold. Yes. That's why I value this relationship Amen. most so much. Amen. Amen. Thanks to God. So, for those that don't know, because we are going to get into this Carvinal game, and I'm excited to announce that. I got my first vehicle. Mm-hmm. Okay, we got a 2017 Range Rover. For what? Is it is it for personal use or are we going to use it for cash No, we're about to get this bag. What you mean? You know, actually, the, the my thought was, <clears throat> so I'm around you. Like, you might pull up in the IA, Neo pulling up in the Rolls. You feel me? Like, yo, everybody got these cars. I'm like... I do some really amazing things, right? Um, God has afforded me to, um, you know, do some really cool things in business. Mm -hmm. And I said, if I'm going to the next level, I think maybe some people need to see it it and be inspired by it. So my thought is, I need to get one of these vehicles, bro. (laughs) But for the way that I think is, I don't want to pay for it. So I I sat down with my wife and I said, yo, we need to get some really nice cars, put them on Toro Mm -hmm. so we can make money Mm -hmm. and be able to drive something nice when we go out. And I and and I I remember the conversation. First off, before I get there, introduce yourself before (laughs) I I don't get too hype on this one. (laughs) What's going on, everybody who's who's tapping in? My name is CEO Maddie J. And I'm a digital real estate agent, general contractor. I buy, sell, build, flip, fix businesses online primarily. And most recently, I'm actually in the car rental space. Car rental space has been doing really nice things for me lately. It's allowing me to share information, specifically how to turn liabilities on wheels into assets making deals. Yeah, this joint is crazy. I remember we were... At church, I think Sabbath just was over, and he said, "Yo, I'm about to put my car." No, this is a real life story. This is a real story. Two, two years ago at church, we brought it up. Yep. He's like, "Yo, I'm about to put. I'm about to rent out my car," and he had just got the Tesla. And in my mind, I'm thinking, "Why would you?" Rent out a Tesla. Your face was crazy. You looked at me like I was crazy. I don't get it. I don't get oh it. Oh my goodness! And I was like, "Yo, I'm about to get this um this this rental property." Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Yo, why don't you why don't you get a car and just sell it?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yo, oh, bro, I remember that. first off, people don't just why would you rent out your nice car? Mm-hmm. Second, first off, and then second off, real estate is like a proven way of building wealth. 
Because you were investing at this time. I'm like, bro, you don't got to do all that. Just get you an Airbnb. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I, and I, I was like, yo, I got to buy a property mm-hmm. and then rent it out. He's like, yo, you don't got to do that. Yeah, and he's like, yo, we are moving into a, di- a different age. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. So I, walk me through that process. Goodness gracious, man. Oh, it brought me back because I was going through a process where I'm like, damn, this works. Why isn't everybody doing it? And when I think about everybody, I first think about my closest friends. And I saw David Shins, he was actively investing. He was like investing a lot of income into this um, the real estate property that you're doing. And I got started and I scaled really quickly. So starting off with the cars, my Tesla Model S, 2013, this was back in 2017, I believe, mm-hmm. um, was sitting there doing nothing. I live in Atlantic Station. So this is a, a an area in midtown Atlanta, Georgia, where everything's literally there. All the top stores, the restaurants, clothes, Publix, everything you need is there. So my car was never dri- like being driven. So I realized like, wow, I'm paying $900 a month car note plus insurance, about $1,000 for a car I'm not driving. Me, I'm a very logical person. And I'm like, yo, this doesn't make sense. And I come to find out after doing studies, reading these studies, 90% of cars that people have are sitting 90% of the time throughout the day, throughout Mm -hmm. the year. So I was like, all right, let me figure this out. My boy Jacoby, shout out to Jacoby, coolest nerd ever. (laughs) <laughs> he said, yo, there's a platform that you can rent out your cars um, on. King Von is one of the newer rappers in the Chicago hip-hop scene. With his hottest track, Crazy Story, doing over 30 million views on the World Star Hip Hop YouTube channel at the time of this recording, King Von is making a rather impressive name for himself in Chicago hip-hop. But What makes King Von's career even more iconic is the fact that King Von hasn't even been rapping for a year yet. He claims that the only reason he got into rapping was because he's done everything else, and not because he had some sort of knack for rapping. What King Von mainly means by that is that he's done almost everything when it comes to the streets. So all he has left to do is tell his stories and experiences through his music. Even though King Von doesn't have an extremely lengthy rap sheet like some of his peers, King Von definitely has a unique criminal history due to the outcome of some of his cases. Well, without further ado, here is an exclusive inside look at the criminal history of King Von. King Vaughn's first run-ins with the law were not very well documented due to the fact that he was a minor at the time of his arrests. But luckily, he gave a little bit more detail of those arrests in an interview with DJ Small's Eyes. In the interview, King Vaughn mentioned that his first arrest was for an armed robbery where apparently he robbed someone at gunpoint and stole their car. When King Vaughn was caught, the police sent him to a juvenile detention center where the charges against him were ultimately dropped due to King Von being so young at the time. But the only way to make this deal work out was that a judge required King Von to attend a boot camp for a certain amount of time. 
For the other three arrests, King Von gave almost little to no detail, but apparently one of them was for possession of a firearm. King Von didn't say how this case ended, but we can probably assume that he was sent to a juvenile detention center and got convicted, but under a certain type of condition where it gets taken off of his record after he turns 18. King Von also mentions that he was locked up at one time for 15 months, and the time before that for 14 months. Von gave no details as of why, but it apparently happened. King Von's next arrest happened when he was only 19 years old, in 2014. According to authorities, King Von was at a party when a guy named Malcolm Stuckey was steady eyeballing him. King Von must have taken offense to this because he then grabbed his friend Michael Wade and left the party in a gray vehicle. Around 45 minutes later, King Von and Wade returned to the party but parked in an alley near the home. The two then got out of the car with loaded guns and headed to the front of the residence. Malcolm Stuckey and two other people were sitting on the front porch when King Von and Wade opened fire on them. Stuckey and the other man fled down LaSalle Street, but both ended up getting shot. The other man on the porch was shot as well as he was attempting to run inside the home. In the end, three people were critically wounded, but Malcolm Stuckey unfortunately got shot in the head and died later that day. After the shooting, King Von and Wade ran back to their car and fled. Both of them ended up getting arrested days later. During the investigations, over 20 shell casings were recovered, and Wade even admitted to police that he had fired a gun 15 or 16 times at one of the victims. King Von, on the other hand, refused to talk to the authorities. The two were held without bond and were facing life in prison for charges of first-degree murder and two attempted murders. After sitting in jail for three and a half years, the trial finally began. The trial lasted a total of five days and the outcome is, honestly, surprising. Wade got sentenced to 28 years in prison, while King Von was acquitted of all charges. After three and a half years in Cook County Jail, King Vaughn was free. Since his release, King Vaughn was staying out of trouble and began rapping. Vaughn also moved to Atlanta to be around his good friend Lil Durk, who is also an extremely successful rapper. With a promising future ahead of him and all while being surrounded by many other successful people, you would think that King Von would never risk all that to commit some stupid crime. But, sadly, that was not the case. Because on May 17, 2019, King Von was arrested once again in Fulton County, Georgia. Sources say that King Von was involved in a shooting that occurred on February 5, 2019 at the parking lot of the Varsity in downtown Atlanta. Officers apparently responded to a call at around 5.45 a.m. after gunshots were reported in the area. When they arrived, they found a 23-year-old man shot to the lower extremities. The man was found outside of his vehicle in the parking lot and was taken to Atlanta Medical Center in serious condition. Thankfully, he survived. After three months of investigation, police determined that King Vaughn was the alleged shooter and eventually ended up arresting King Vaughn 
moments after that conclusion was made. King Vaughn is still locked up to this day and is being held without bond. Sources close to the situation say that the man King Vaughn shot was attempting to rob him and that it was done in self-defense. Internet detectives are speculating that King Vaughn will get three years, while others say he'll get off completely. In the horrific wake of the unspeakable massacre that took place at the Route 91 Harvest Festival here in Las Vegas, we know a lot of you have questions and confusions about firearm laws in the state of Nevada. I'm attorney Michael Becker from the Las Vegas Defense Group, and I'm here to provide you with some useful information on this topic. Many people wonder what kind of ammunition is legal in the state of Nevada. Nevada law permits the sale of nearly all kinds of ammunition, including hollow points, tracers, frangible projectiles for target shooting, and 50 caliber ammunition. However, you are prohibited under both Nevada law and the federal law from purchasing or possessing armor-piercing bullets. Federal law defines armor-piercing ammunition as a projectile or projectile core which may be used in a handgun and which is constructed entirely from one or a combination of tungsten alloys, steel, iron, brass, bronze, beryllium copper, or depleted uranium, or a full jacketed projectile larger than 22 caliber designed and intended for use in a handgun and whose jacket has a weight of more than 25% of the total weight of the projectile. The mere possession of armor-piercing bullets in Nevada is a gross misdemeanor which carries up to 364 days in jail and a fine of up to $2,000. And under federal law, if you possess armor-piercing bullets while carrying out a violent crime or a narcotics trafficking crime, you face 15 years to life in a federal penitentiary. If you have questions about firearm laws in Las Vegas or throughout the state of Nevada, call us at 702-DEFENSE or watch our instructional videos at 702defense.com. Dang, this ain't the first time you thought it up there, huh? <laughs> Gotta just float out like you, Listen, you've been on this for a minute. That's what I'm on. So five years from now, um, I'll have one of the leading softwares when it comes to financial literacy and credit education. I love it. Do you specifically target black people? No. No? It's just that's just people who relate to me the most yeah. right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. They like this way. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Well, yeah. well, I, I, I want to say uh, thank you, man. And please let the people know how they can get in touch with you. At him 500 on Instagram. So follow me on Instagram, at him500. That's the easiest way to contact me. Um, stay in touch. I shoot DMs back. You get voice memos. You might get a video. Um, just real connected with everybody. DMs is always close to empty to where they, I keep mope. So, you reply to all your DMs? For the most part, yes. 
I, bro, I, I was, I did it for a while, and then I just got, I got so backed up, and now I can't catch up. So I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm just gonna sit down this week, and I'm gonna go through all. It's probably like a thousand. Just words. delete all of those and start fresh, and then stay on top of it. And who would have thought of that? That's crazy. Like, you, yo, this has been something that's been bothering me for like three months now. Yeah. He's like, oh, delete them. Start over. Thank you. Yeah, because you never going to check them. <laughs> They've been unread for two weeks. The message doesn't even matter anymore. Delete the story. It's story oh. replies. And it's, it's, you'll get a whole bunch of likes and delete it and restart over. That is so amazing. First, okay, thank you. All right, I appreciate leave, yeah, you. You just gave me a bar. You just yeah. gave me a bar. I was worth the price of admission. All right, cool. I want you to leave us with um, something that the people can uh, take with them and hold on to for the rest of this year, for the rest of next year. Um, just leave us with a closing note. With a closing note? I got it. Before you get there, before you get there, give me a formula. I like your formulas. You have like the way you teach. Okay. Give me a formula and then we'll close. A formula. Um, I'm gonna give you guys a formula on something that everybody needs and that's how to clean your credit. Um, that's one of the things I don't believe in charging for myself. I believe in if I get on the platform, the relationships I've been able to build with people like you, that I should be able to give our community that for free. So I tell people this is that the reason why you can't get a lot of the negative items removed from your credit report is because there's a company called SageStream, there's a company called LexisNexis, there's a company called CoreLogix, there's a company called ARS, and there's a company called Innovis. Those are secondary data furnishing companies. Those companies house the information that verifies the negative information on your credit report that helps match the collection agency's information, your foreclosures, your repossessions. They match those, that information with your secondary data furnishing companies. If you opt out and suppress these five furnishing companies, it will enhance your deletions by 60%. When you do a, a dispute method, you have to understand as well is that only way you can remove a negative item if it's inaccurate or if it's unverifiable. We cause inaccuracies by removing these, I mean unverifiable by removing the secondary data furnishers. That causes it to be unverifiable because this is where they verify your data. So we opt out of those. Then we make things unverifiable. Meaning, look at the names and addresses, any misspelled names, any wrong addresses on your credit report are most likely tied to negative accounts or accounts in your credit report. Remove them, you should only have one. Boom, you can do that over the phone. You never send a dispute letter to remove addresses and um, misspelled names. You do it over the phone. Now, you've caused inaccuracies and you help make things um, inaccurate and help cause the negative items to be unverifiable just by opting out and suppressing those. So now when you do a dispute, I tell people use a 609 letter, find a template, make it sound like it's personal. Don't just use it cut and paste. 
take some of the words out, make it sound personal, make it sound like it's coming from first person, you're talking to the credit bureau. Then what do you do? You send your disputes in. That's one way to get negative items removed. Biggest bars, most people don't know there's a company called Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB.gov. That's the government regulation site that governs the credit bureaus. The credit bureaus are private companies. So TransUnion, Experian, and Equifax are privately owned. Well, CFPB controls them. Well, if you don't want to have to, if you go through and you suppress the secondary agencies and you make things unverifiable and accurate, and it still gets, it comes back and the company says, oh, that. I'm Las Vegas criminal defense attorney, Michael Becker. If you're found guilty at trial in Nevada, you can ask the judge to hold a do-over if the original trial was unfair. This is a totally different process from an appeal, which is where you ask a higher court to review the lower court's decision. Now, judges rarely grant a hearing for a new trial, but it can happen. Five common reasons to justify a new trial are, one, there is newly discovered evidence that shows that the defendant may be innocent. Two, the judge made a major mistake, perhaps by misdirecting the jury. Three, the prosecutors or jury engaged in misconduct that prejudiced the defendant. Four, the defendant's attorneys were not competent. This is called ineffective assistance of counsel. And five, the evidence was insufficient to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Under NRS 176.515, defendants typically have only seven days after the guilty verdict to file a motion for a new trial. But if there is newly discovered evidence, the motion may be made within two years after the guilty verdict. Also, there is no time limit to ask for a new trial for a defendant convicted of a Category A or B felony who gets a genetic marker analysis that suggests they may be innocent. If you need a criminal defense attorney, call my legal team for a free consultation at 702-DEFENSE. Our experienced lawyers at the Las Vegas Defense Group We'll do everything we can to achieve the best resolution possible in your case. Yes, I signed those documents, blah, blah, blah. They don't actually charge him for anything. What ends up happening is a few months later, he fails a urine test, several urine tests, and they pull his probation and he goes back to jail for 30 months on a probation violation. But he probably wouldn't have gotten the 30 months did they not already know he was involved in another scam. Does that make sense? Like, mm -hmm. I can't say, oh, it was just a probation violation because they knew he had he was involved in another in a in a scam. So they hit him pretty hard for for a, a dirty urine. So those two people are the only people that ended up going to trial. Everybody else are going to prison. Everyone else. um had basically um skated they were never never grabbed never 
indicted, or they were indicted, but they were never prosecuted. Many times the police obtain a search warrant by uh, taking evidence uh, that they uh, got from an informant to the judge. And they have to show the judge that that informant was reliable. And of course they're going to tell the judge, oh yes, this is a reliable informant, uh, uh, we have a lot of confidence in him. But we're not going to take the police for their word at that. We're going to go back and we're going to examine the reliability of that informant ourselves. Many times we find the informant is a junkie, the informant is a drug addict, the informant has provided unreliable information before, or the police made some special deal with the informant to make accusations against our client in return for getting a break on their case. If we can show that the informant was unreliable, that the information was uncorroborated, that it was not plausible that the informant provided, then many times we can get the search warrant quashed, we can force the police to, to divulge the identity of the informant, and if we can do that, quite often we can get the evidence thrown out of court and the case dismissed had like a long way to go before you reached your peak. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I had no clientele. You okay. Know, I had no clientele and um it, it took a while. It took maybe 6 months to build to build trust in the community and to build clientele. So thousands of these credit cards, you're literally taking these little holograms and you're physically like placing them on each of these credit each cards one, with your hands like one. hand by hand yeah, each one. Each credit card, each shit, each card's dude. handmade. How long does that take? How long does it take to do one card? Oh, I had it down. I could, I could print one card in less than five minutes. I could print I could everything. Print, print I it. Could, stick everything onto it. Yeah. Well, yeah. See, I would already have all the. I would already have all the the templates lined up in Photoshop. Okay. Like ready to go. All my windows open. Bomb, 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 bomb. You know what I mean? And then I would load maybe like ten or fifteen cards in the printer, mm -hmm. and I would be like, okay. Print in sequence. Print one. Print two. Print three. Print four. Print five. So then it would it would run out all the cards. Print them front and back. You know okay. what I mean? It would put the put all. And the, the only thing I really had to do myself was emboss and do the hologram. So I would have to physically place the hologram myself and use a heat press to adhere it to the plastic. Mm -hmm. And then I would have to, to to manually emboss the card myself. And this is before I got the auto embosser, where I could just throw them in and do a batch, and it would you know run a fifty or hundred at a time. Damn. Yeah. So when I got down, when I got really efficient at it, I could maybe do a hundred cards in an hour. About an hour, I could print hologram and emboss about a hundred. So cards. you make close to a hundred, a thousand cards in a day. Yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm cranking away, but then you know, sometimes you have problems. Mm -hmm. The printer starts gets too hot and starts fucking melting cards and mm -hmm. printing shit sideways. You know, so you've yeah. always got little issues, right? Yeah, like that you got to deal with. But yeah, I could do a thousand cards in a day. What's the most cards day? that you did in a day? You think that I've manufactured in one day? Mm -hmm. I think I've done about eight hundred, six between six and eight hundred in wow. one day. You know, on a good day, if mm -hmm. everything was going right and I had mm -hmm. all my equipment operating mm -hmm. properly. Yeah. Okay, so how did you start 
getting this getting this out there on on online or on these black market on these um, uh, on the dark web and start getting customers to buy shitloads of them. Yeah, so so the initially the first uh Carter forum that I was on, I went ahead and I just made my first post. Here I am, new vendor. Right. Um here's my product, you know, you post pictures, it's like a whole well it was like a whole thing not anymore. And then, you know, I would get maybe like one or two orders a month. Mm-hmm. You know? And then once those orders came in and like people started leaving positive feedback, it just kind of snowballed after that. And then I remember the day, because I would only get maybe one or two orders, but I remember the day I woke up and I checked, I think I checked one of my emails and I had 15 or 20, 20 orders waiting for me and I couldn't believe it. How much per, how much is $1,000? One order is $1,000? Yeah. For how many cards? A uh, hundred. Hundred cards. Yeah, it's twenty dollars a card. Hundred cards. Two drivers, or you get. I'd make IDs for you, however many you wanted, and then I would do. I think it was like hundred cards embossed, everything encoded, numbers, and IDs, and IDs. <coughs> yeah, holy but shit! But I wouldn't make a hundred IDs. Obviously, I'd make like two or three. Okay. You know, or whatever that whatever they wanted. But it I mean you know. So there, there was a cap on that. So the IDs have to obviously correspond with the credit cards. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because say you go to a store and you make a purchase, um, and it's over like three or four hundred dollars. Uh, like a lot of stores, like people don't realize this, but a lot of stores, like say Best Buy, you go mm-hmm. to Best Buy, if you make a purchase over three hundred dollars, they ask physically ask for your card, mm-hmm. and they physically take your card. And they, they go on their POS machine. Now, their POS machine, the point-of-sale service machine, won't let them process the sale unless the four digits on the front of the card match what's actually encoded to the card. Mm. So it's like, a, it's like a security step. So what they do is they take the card and they punch the numbers into the computer because you've already swiped it. So they're going to punch these numbers in. And if these numbers on the front of the card don't match what's being swiped, it's automatic fraud. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to have the corresponding plastic to match the to match the numbers, and you have to have the ID because they're going to ask for for ID because a I don't have the people's pin number, so you're not processing it as debit. You always have to process it as credit, even though it's a debit card. Got it. So they have to have ID when you process anything for credit. They always ask for ID, always, especially if it's a big purchase. Right. You know. Huh. Louis Vuitton, you go to Louis Vuitton and try and buy a, a $2,000 handbag on a credit card, they're going to ask you for ID. Right, right. 1,000%. Yeah, yeah. You know? Even if you even if you go in there looking the part, they're still mm-hmm. going to ask. They always ask for ID. Right. You know? So you have to have the ID to match the card. Everything mm-hmm. has the jive. The numbers, okay. everything has the to, to be coherent. Okay, so is there a minimum number of cards they had to buy for one order? So is the minimum a hundred car minimum? 100? It was a thousand dollar minimum order. Okay, so it was a hundred cards. And the things that you'll talk about in the pleading topic are amendments. So remember earlier I said if you don't assert an affirmative defense in your answer, it's waived. Well, you might be able to fix that by amending your answer. We're going to look at that in the civil procedure course. Most of you should cover that. That's covered by Rule Fifteen. I want to fix my complaint. Maybe someone files a motion in response to the complaint saying, there's not enough detail here. Well, can the plaintiff then say, well, then I'll just fix it. I'm going to file an amended complaint. 
Right? So there are rules that allow you to do amended complaints without the permission of the court. Sometimes you need the court's permission. That's the topic of amendments. There's advanced concepts in the amendment space where you may want to add things to the complaint after the statute of limitations has expired. That goes to this when. When do you have to bring a case? Usually there's a deadline. Sometimes it's two years after the incident, sometimes it's three years, etc. What if you file a case right before the two-year deadline? Now you're going along in discovery and you find, uh-oh, I sued the wrong person. I was supposed to sue John, but I sued Mike. So I want to file an amended complaint to substitute John. Can that relate back to before the two-year period? It can under certain circumstances. So this is something else that you'll talk about in Rule 15 coverage, which deals with amendments. A last piece of the pleadings topic, which we're dealing with here, is something called Rule 11. And this is a rule that imposes a requirement to be truthful in pleading. So obviously you can't just make stuff up. If you make things up in a complaint and the defendant calls you out on it, they can file a motion for sanctions under Rule 11, and that's punishment that the court will visit on the attorney and the parties and the law firm that's responsible for the violation. So you'll study what the requirements are of Rule 11 and the means that you have to use to get sanctions from the court to punish people who have violated it. Joinder is the next topic that's typically covered. And this deals with joinder of claims and joinder of parties. So I mentioned earlier a counterclaim up there. That's what we have in this initial uh, lawsuit. And I'll redraw it down here. So we have a plaintiff versus a defendant. This is our initial claim of $100,000. Now we have a counterclaim of $50,000. All right, well, what if the plaintiff wants to sue the defendant for something else besides this car accident? They may have another dispute that's unrelated to the car accident. And it's just a coincidence, but they have some sort of uh, breach of contract dispute. So, and let's say this is only for $50,000. So now you have multiple questions here. First, as always, is there jurisdiction over this $50,000 breach of contract claim, which has nothing to do with this? Now remember I said for supplemental jurisdiction, claims have to be related to each other. These claims are not related to each other. Does that mean there's no jurisdiction over that claim? No, it doesn't. Why not? It goes way back to something I mentioned at the beginning, aggregation. A plaintiff can add however many claims they have related or unrelated to each other to get the, the jurisdictional amount in controversy. So this plaintiff can actually add 100 to, to 50 to get $150,000 in controversy. So even though it's unrelated and it's insufficient on its own through aggregation, it qualifies for a diversity jurisdiction. So no jurisdictional problems there. The other question is, can they join this in this lawsuit? So they're not just a jurisdictional issue, joinder. What allows me to bring two completely unrelated claims in one case? They have nothing to do with each other. Not going to be the same witnesses, not the same evidence. Can you do this? The answer is yes. 
because the rules of civil procedure expressly provide for it. That's Rule 18A. This is a rule, that's Rule 13B, if it's related, if it's 13A, 13B, if it's unrelated, you're going to learn all these things in civil procedure. So, joinder covers claim joinder, counterclaims, then it can get even more complex. Let's put another plaintiff down here. So now we've got P1 and P2. This guy was from New York. We had Texas over here. Now we're going to put another New Yorker here. Now why would we have two plaintiffs? So this might be the driver of the car. This could be the passenger that was with the driver. She was injured too, right? So can they bring a lawsuit together or do they have to split up? There's a rule that governs this. This is rule 20. So you're going to study this. So this person might have a claim here. What if their claim is only for $50,000? Well, that's too low. Can you add it? No. Maybe there's supplemental jurisdiction. You'll learn about that. What happens when it gets a little spicier and they start doing this? All right? Now, we were friends. And that defendant understanding, I've got two other guys that feel the same way that we're going to hear today. And mutually respecting each other and the limits on that is important. When, when you, after you sentence an individual and they're t sentenced to the custody of the attorney general, they go into the prison system, on rare occasions, they have an opportunity to come before you again for some type of resentencing, some issues. How does their behavior in prison, can that have some influence on your decision if you have the opportunity to reassess this candidate several years later? There's enormous considerations. Um, I see it all the time. Um, we've just gone through a rash of people who've been resentenced um, based on armed career offenders and other situations that come in front of us. If somebody's in federal prison, they've had no violations. Um, that tells me they'll have no violations when they get out, which is what I want. My uh, fairy tale view of the world is that this, the sentence in the Bureau of Prisons is supposed to be the punishment aspect of it, and that supervised release is where we hopefully give people some skills and support and some monitoring to make sure they generally follow the rules of society. And so if you've not had any problems in prison, my thought is you won't have any problems when you get out. And so it allows me to take a risk. It allows me to take a risk. If you had no violations on supervised release, to be removed from supervised release early, maybe after a couple of years of doing everything positive. I've seen letters where people have come, have spent a year pre-trial at some small county prison waiting to come, and they've developed a positive relationship with the guards and volunteered in the kitchen and done positive things there and the guards have greatly appreciated it and not become a character reference but just said Steve has done everything we've asked him to he's gotten up early and he's worked in the kitchen and he's been a positive influence on the other inmates 
Well, that's pretty darn compelling. That means you can play by the rules. And, you, and you're going to get out. I mean, there's very few people that get life. You're going to get out, and you're most likely going to be back in front of the sentencing judge if there's ever a screw-up again. Um, and to have a clean record in prison uh, is an enormous positive star in your crown. Judge, you've been very gracious with your time and you've responded to all of our questions. And I know that our audience will learn a great deal in listening from you. You're, you're telling the people exactly what we try to convey in prison professors that it's never too early and it's never too late to begin sowing seeds for a better life. And I really want to thank you for spending the time this afternoon and sharing your wisdom with our audience. Mr. Santos, I, I appreciate you having me on. It's a, it's a distinct honor. I mean, this is one of those times that we as a society, this is us. This is we're governing ourselves. This is our democracy. Uh, the individuals that you're serving are citizens, and uh, we can all we can all improve and become better. And you're an important part of that. So thank you for what you do, sir. Thank you, and God bless. The most serious type of felony is a Category A felony, and that would include first-degree murder. It would include first-degree kidnapping, sexual assault production of child pornography, amongst others. A Category A felony subjects an individual to a maximum punishment, if it's first-degree murder, of death. Otherwise, Category A felonies are punished by a penalty of up to life in prison without the possibility of parole or life in prison with the possibility of parole. Nobody wants to find out that they have an outstanding warrant. And we get a lot of calls from people that have uh, gone to renew their license at the DMV, for example, and found out that they had a warrant. Uh, maybe they were arrested. Maybe they were just told about it. Uh, sometimes people get pulled over and an officer may write them a citation and not actually arrest them on the warrant, but inform them that they have a warrant. But whatever the facts and circumstances may be, it's never fun to find out that you have a warrant for your arrest. Uh, depending on what type of warrant it is, we may be able to go into court for you and have the court quash the warrant. Uh, quashing the warrant basically means uh, when you appear, either personally or through counsel, the court once again has jurisdiction over you. They no longer have to utilize the warrant to arrest you and bring you before the court. When you voluntary, voluntarily appear before the court, there's a pretty good chance that the court will quash the warrant, allow you to remain out of custody until you resolve your legal matter. Uh, a warrant can lie for uh, a felony charge, a misdemeanor charge, or even a traffic ticket. 
And it's very important to clear up your warrants because obviously uh, nobody wants to go to jail, especially unexpectedly. So um, if you have a warrant, um, call 702 Defense. Uh, prison system and about post-conviction opportunities. And uh, he, as you can see, he's, he's very open and transparent and happy to share with you what he's learned. Thank you. Thank you too. Las Vegas casino security are not the police. They may only perform citizen's arrests, which every person has the right to do if they witness criminal activity or believe a felony has been committed. If a casino security guard arrests you, remember to maintain your right to remain silent. And depending on the situation, your attorney may be able to show the prosecutor that the casino security performed an illegal citizen's arrest and that any charges against you should be dismissed. However, there is one situation where casino security is legally allowed to take casino patrons to the fabled back room for questioning. That's for allegedly cheating while gambling. Under NRS 465.101, Casino security may detain a person for a reasonable length of time and question him or her if they have probable cause to believe that that person was cheating during gambling. During this time, casino security has no obligation to give patrons Miranda warnings and remind them of their right to remain silent. However, patrons should absolutely remain tight-lipped and give up no information other than their name. Then if the police arrive, the patron should continue to stay silent and speak only to their lawyer. So if you've been arrested by security at a Las Vegas casino, call the Las Vegas Defense Group at 702 Defense, and we'll talk about ways to get your charges reduced or dismissed. And in some cases, we may even be able to sue the security guard or hotel for the damages that they've caused. They just don't, they're laborers and we're gonna cash some of their checks. And he goes, okay, that makes sense. Leaves, comes back. Finally comes back and I said, hey, what's going on? You know, and he says, listen, he said, uh, I just, we're just doing a series of checks on to verify things. And I go, okay. And he says, uh, I said, well, what are you doing? He goes, well, we're trying to, he said, we, it turns out that this check was issued uh, by, on, a, on a house owned by a Michael Shanahan. And I was like, right, right. And he goes, he said, right, so we're just trying to verify uh, that Michael Shanahan issued the check, that's all. Well, there's a real Michael Shanahan. And I'm thinking, oh my God, <laughs> well, that's not good. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So he leaves, Becky calls, what's going on? They're trying to call Michael Shanahan. She's like, get out of the bank. And I'm like, I can't, this guy's got my shit. I leave the bank for sure they're calling the cops I have to wait hang up the phone a minute later my phone rings I look at it I don't recognize the number I pick it up and I go hello and there's a woman like hi this is Kimberly from SunTrust Bank is this Michael Shanahan I'm like yes it is and she goes hi uh, we have someone here at the bank trying to cash a cashier's check uh, that was drawn on your your 
on your uh, from the title company, and I'm like, okay. And they said, uh, what was, do you, you know, who's the, how much was the amount for? I said, yeah, that was Scott Cogno. It was thirty about twenty nine thousand dollars even, I think. And she says, that's right, Mr. Thank you very much, Mr. Shannon. I said, hey, how did you get my number? Because if you called information, you would have got his real number. And and I go, how'd you get my number? Oh, we called the title company. They looked on the application that I had filled out, and I'd used the cell number. And they said, we just got it off of there. I hope it's okay. No problem. No problem. Okay, thank you. Boom. Hang up the phone. Five minutes later, still, the guy comes out with some woman, counts out the money to me, gives me the money. I stand up, and he says, Mr. Cugno, I would like to um, say that I feel very uncomfortable about this transaction. And I said, well, what is it exactly? And he goes, you know, I can't put my finger on it. And I said, well, I'm, it'll come to you. <laughs> and I walk off. Listen, I was terrified. Fucking terrified. I like to think that when the Secret Service showed up, you know, five, six days later, a week later, he realized I was They're not doing any research themselves. Nobody's, trust me, I guarantee no reporter picked up the phone or went to the prison, or sorry, went to the jail or wrote a letter. Nobody tried to talk to, to Lugo. Doesn't even matter. The point is, is most of these newspaper uh, newspapers will just get this art or this press release from the U.S. attorney and just rewrite it. And so I read uh, like three articles, but they're all basically the same. They have a little bit different information, you know, slightly different, but it's all pretty much the same. So here's what apparently Lugo was doing. Because it, you can't go open a company. So, you know, you can't open a company and then turn around and apply for a PPP loan. Because... The IRS is, or whoever's handling it is going to go, the COVID Relief Foundation or fund or whoever's handling it, they're going to look at your application and they're going to say, this thing was open two weeks ago. How is it you have 30 employees that you need $500,000 to continue to pay? That's just that, that. That's not how it works. So you have to get existing companies, and sometimes those existing companies have to have filed taxes. So it sounds to me like what Lugo did was he went and he got. Now keep in mind, a lot of these times you can get these companies. You can buy a comp. You can go online and buy a company that's been in existence for years. So it's like a it's like a shell company, and so you go buy a company that's been in existence for years, or you can go to um, you can go to the uh, um, Secretary of State's websites for most states, and if somebody has a corporation that was open ten years ago, and maybe they paid their fees for two years and then they stopped, and the the company's inactive, you can typically go and just pay the back payments, the back fees, the annual fees on those companies and take that company over. So now, then if you really get creative, you could actually file 
back taxes for the company. You don't have to pay in. You just have to file. So sounds to me like what he's doing what he did was he Lugo's not that smart though, by the way. He's not gonna figure all that out. What he's most likely did, and what it basically seems like it says in most of these articles, is that he went to one, a couple of companies that he already owned, and he applied for PPP loans in those companies' names, saying, hey, I have employees that I have to pay, and um, the company's been around for so many years, and I have 10 employees, and I need $300,000 or $100,000 or whatever the amount of money is, and I need that money to pay my employees, and they... They then say, okay, well, the company's been around for five years. I can see that it claimed taxes last year. And, okay, give them the money. So it's like, it's just, boom, they're just giving them the money. He did 70 companies. He applied for loans in the, in, for 70 different companies. And it, based on what, the uh, articles say it sounds to me like what he did was he went to friends and family and probably probably friends of his family like you know a friend of a friend anybody that he knew that owned a company or he could get to you and you know somebody that owns a company you know, I'll give them this much and work. I'll apply for the PPP loan because he's having success. And he probably goes and says, no, no, you don't understand. You just, here's how it works. And, you know, you put it in such a way that it makes that sound like, look, you're going to get $100,000. I'm going to give you $20,000. I'm going to do all the paperwork and you're not going to have to pay these people back at all. So it's a free $20,000, whatever that's, whatever his agreement with those people is. Are. Because, let's face it, he's not, they're not going to do it for nothing. Well, it sounds to me like that's what he did. And he applied for 70 different PPP loans uh, to the tune of $5.8 million, nearly $6 million dollars. It sounds to me like he got out over a million at least. I mean, just the numbers that they're throwing down here. I mean, he's gambling. He lost 60-something thousand dollars at a casino. He spent $350,000 on something else. He paid off, uh, you know, some luxury uh, SUV. He did, I mean, he he's buying uh, all kinds of designer uh, clothes and designer, you know, all kind of jewelry and, you know, all that stuff. And he's living in a big house and he's renovating houses. And it, look, he needed, he probably got a million, maybe $2 million. I think he pulled out, I think he pulled out, they said he pulled out in cash $350,000 in cash. That's what they can't, uh, that's just what the, what the, what the FBI or whoever arrested him, uh, that's what they can't account for. Like, we can't account for this because he got that out in cash. Everything else they can kind of figure out. So you can imagine what you can buy. Look. That boy is definitely ha happy with this decision. 
Because he took the social media and made a statement immediately when this happened. Or, you know, as soon as it, it made news. Now, in his post on social media, Rack Boy had this to say, man. And it just seemed like, man, he was really, really excited about the judgment. But this is what he said verbatim. He said, this has been a very lengthy and tedious process. I'm grateful for the outcome and I'm thankful it's all behind me. I'm excited to get back into the studio and continue creating music for my fans. I wish the best for all parties on current and future endeavors. It's Rack Boys, SZN, Are You Dumb? And then I don't know what emoji that is, but it looks like a circle. And then hashtag Rack Boys, hashtag Jersey. So, man, it looks like, man, things are looking up for Rack Boy. And he was even posted, he even reposted some of the people who took the social media to make memes about the situation like this. He reposted this, man, or somebody, they posted the, the, they took his head and put it on Chris Tucker's face from the uh, Rush Hour movie. And it basically says this, it said, Rack Boy Cam all summer after winning that 1.7 million. Laughing emojis, nothing but, you know what, you know what, you know what. For him now, man. And I had to block out those other things because, you know, they're not good for this platform. Now, Rack Boy thought it was funny, obviously, because he posted this. He said, chill, y'all cooking on the internet. And it was more memes that people were posting, but, man, it goes to show that, you know, he was taking this real well. Of course, because he won. But, man, it seems like PMB rocking them. Might be punching this, punching the air right now, man. They thinking about that money that they just lost. Now, in the news article, it doesn't say what type of you know judgment it was. It doesn't say where where they sued in civil court. I'm sure it was, man. Because I mean, I don't know, man. When it comes to copyrights, I'm not really sure. But it just seems like, man, for them, for all the news publications and you know hip hop sites to pick this up. It must have been a clear-cut deal, and this is official, man. So it looks like Rack Boy got a little bit of change to invest into his music career, and PMB rocking them, they're going to lose on the front end and a little bit of the publishing and all that on the back end. But I don't think this is going to hurt their career in any type of way, man. I mean, Wyatt and Lucci, his hands are full right now. He's got his thing that he's dealing with, and PMB rock. It's still just making sure that he's cranking out hits. I know he just did a joint pretty much with everybody from OTF, including a song with uh, King Von that, that he did before, that they did together before he passed away. So it seems like he's back in that mode to be working on music. So all in all, maybe this is a win for everybody. I don't know. I'm just trying to keep it positive, I guess. But what do you guys think, man? Do you think that taking this hit to your pocket for YFN Lucci and PNB Rock specifically is one of the worst things that can happen in the music business? I'll tell you this, man. After looking at a whole bunch of stories, this is a common occurrence. This happens all the time. People pay money to get things right. The other person gets a little piece of the song. Things move on. So, I mean, this might not be the worst thing in the world. But is this just another negative notch on YFN Lucci's belt with everything that he's got going on right now? Now, with that, this being your boy, Big Man, please hit that like button. Please hit that subscribe button. And make sure you hit that notification bell so that way you get a notification every time I drop this hot content. And we out of here. Peace.
I'm Las Vegas criminal defense attorney Michael Becker. People struggling with substance abuse addiction do not need prison. They need help. Fortunately, many districts in Nevada offer drug court as an alternative to incarceration. And upon successful completion of drug court, the narcotics charge will be completely dismissed so that there is no conviction on the defendant's record. Here are five things to know. One, Nevada Drug Court is open to addicts facing a first-time charge of felony drug possession, misdemeanor drug possession, or unlawful drug use. Two, drug court participants are required to attend an outpatient rehab and education program once or twice a week, appear regularly in court so the judge may monitor their progress, and submit to random drug testing. Three, drug court typically lasts about one year and costs around $1,500. Four, defendants who violate the terms of drug court may get a second chance to stay in the program, but the judge has full discretion to throw non-compliant defendants out of the program, convict them of the original drug offenses, and probably send them to jail. And five, after defendants finish drug court and the drug charge gets dismissed, the court will seal their record. Therefore, the charge should no longer show up on future background checks. If you're facing charges in Nevada, contact the Las Vegas Defense Group at 702-333-1600 to discuss your case free of charge. My team of experienced criminal defense attorneys will fight to get your charges reduced or dismissed. When I, when I, when I go out of town, I actually go to Peachy. I go in at seven fifty a day. And he said, yo, he'll just go down there. He paid the seven fifty, leave. They go pick it up. That's what I was doing before I got my lot. And what's crazy. I was paying all this money to Peachy this whole time. Not knowing that the lot that I was soon to have was right next to it. Right I next had, door. Um, here's the here's the clutch, Hutch clutch play. So Peachy, they use a third party called Way, uh, Way, W A W A Y, and I was paying half the price that Peachy charges on Way. If on Way, yo, they be having joints for two dollars. That's what bro. I was paying two dollars because this was before I knew about the airport drop. I'm like, I'm not gonna be paying thirty six dollars for these parking tickets no more. Yeah. I'm gonna drop the car off at the airport mm-hmm. parking lot. Peachy, pay two dollars, and then charge the guests for the for the two dollars. You know what I'm <laughs> and then, so the beautiful thing is, they'll pick the car up from Peachy, go about their way to travel. When they drop the car off at Peachy, they can take the Peachy shuttle back to the airport. Mm, Smooth process. Perfect. Perfect. Smooth process. I and love if I have to pick up, if I have to pick up the car, or one of my team members have to pick up the car, right? They'll take the train. This Atlantic Station, there's a train that goes straight to the airport. So they don't have to worry about driving, getting caught in traffic. Yeah. It was a smooth ride to the airport. Pick the car up and move on from there. So what's, so, uh, and it's so crazy because you've been doing this for. It's only two years. Two years. We're going crazy. And you're just now, you just now put out your course. And yeah, that's a fact. Yeah. You know, I don't know how many courses you sold, over, <laughs> like the like the first release, yeah. right? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Knocking on my door for this. 
Because yeah. Phil been asking you for yes. for two years, yes. yo, put me on. Yes, I've been sharing this. Yeah, and I and I for saw free. Right, right, right. But you know, my my boys, they they was like, bro, drop the course, package right. this material, and drop in, in a course form. So I ain't gonna lie, him five hundred Marcus, he he was on my neck. Mm. Neo on my neck about dropping a course, yeah. calling me, bro. You gotta drop a course. You know how he's talking. Right. You gotta drop the course, or we're gonna do it. What you mean you're gonna drop the tour? All right, all right. I'll, I'll drop it next week. Right, right. So I posted my Instagram like, yo, everybody, I'm dropping this course. Here's the date. I didn't even build it out yet. I knew setting a date is gonna force me to do it. Mm. Cause I'm so used to giving out the game for free, enjoying the, the responses, that I didn't feel right charging for it, yeah. right? But that, I got a bar with that where, if I don't charge, you know how Neo's to be talking yeah. to. If I don't charge, they're not gonna put it into action, they're not yeah. gonna respect it. You already know that, how that sure. works too. So I said, cool, I'm gonna charge. You see, I'm gonna test out the price. I charged $12.99. As soon as I put on my Instagram stories, I'm launching the course. I'm doing pre-sales. Cash at me. I got... Cash at Cash at went crazy. Man, man, look at my cash at right here. Where my phone at? Cash at right here. I'm going to show it you. It wasn't a link. It wasn't no credit card. And they trust me. Most people are like, nah, that's I'm a cash That's a fact. And I believe because you built a... And, you know, for those that know you... No, like you are a very credible person, yeah, very honest. Like I'm it's not, we know that like Steve. money ain't your biggest thing. Yeah. You feel me? So when you put out something, they're like, yo, I'm here for it. I rock That's a with fact. it. That's what happened, man. I got instant feedback. I, I didn't know that people were willing to pay for this information, but I had to stop devaluing, devaluing this information. This information, if I had it, I would have saved that $2,800. Yeah. I would have saved all the money I lost in the beginning stages st- uh, stages to the point where I now just, yo, here's the course information. If you need to know, I have it all documented here. So what's 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 in the course? Talk to me about the what's in the process. course. whole process. How to buy a vehicle. The best way how to not get finessed by the salespeople. <laughs> Anytime somebody goes to the dealership, you think you're going to be there in there for an hour? How long is most people be in a dealership for? Forever. Four hours, five hours, six hours. And they beat your brain until until you feel like you just want to die. Mm. So that's when they get you in the finance room and they have you signing all these. Oh, you need warranty? It's just going to be an extra $20 on your monthly payment. <laughs> you sign here. <laughs> man, give me the keys, man. Give me money. It prevents that in that session. I teach how to uh, figure out what business model you want. Do you want to be an owner in this business, meaning you cash out a car or finance a car under your name, or do you want to be a broker where you're a middleman between the cars, meaning you don't have to get the car yourself. David, his Range Rover, somebody wants a Range Rover, I'm in the middle of saying, yo, you need a Range Rover? David got it for you. He charges $200 a day. You can pay him directly. And run me my fifty dollars to let you know about that bucket. Mm. That's a broker. You're the middleman. Yo, let me ask you this: because a guy sent me a DM. Um, hold on. Um, a, a guy sent me a. a I, I think I made a post about it, and um, a guy uh, he sent me a DM about um, his car. 
Nobody wants to find out that they have an outstanding warrant. And we get a lot of calls from people that have uh, gone to renew their license at the DMV, for example, and found out that they had a warrant. Uh, maybe they were arrested. Maybe they were just told about it. Uh, sometimes people get pulled over and an officer may write them a citation and not actually arrest them on the warrant, but inform them that they have a warrant. But whatever the facts and circumstances may be, it's never fun to find out that you have a warrant for your arrest. Uh, depending on what type of warrant it is, we may be able to go into court for you and have the court quash the warrant. Uh, quashing the warrant basically means uh, when you appear, either personally or through counsel, the court once again has jurisdiction over you. They no longer have to utilize the warrant to arrest you and bring you before the court. When you voluntary, voluntarily appear before the court, there's a pretty good chance that the court will quash the warrant, allow you to remain out of custody until you resolve your legal matter. Uh, a warrant can lie for uh, a felony charge, a misdemeanor charge, or even a traffic ticket. And it's very important to clear up your warrants because obviously uh, nobody wants to go to jail, especially unexpectedly. So um, if you have a warrant, um, call 702 Defense, uh, speak to our office, and we can get your matter placed on calendar. We can get you before the court, and we can keep you, in most cases, from going to jail. I'm attorney Michael Becker with the Las Vegas Defense Group. If you or a loved one has been charged with a criminal offense in Las Vegas or throughout the state of Nevada, trust in me and my legal team to get your case dismissed or otherwise negotiate a resolution that causes minimal harm to you in your future. These generic guidelines in Chapter 3, victim-related adjustments, role in the offense adjustments, obstruction adjustments, multiple counts, and acceptance of responsibility. These victim-related adjustments include hate crime motivation, for which three additional offense levels will be added, or vulnerable victim, for which two additional offense levels will be added, or if, if there are large numbers of multiple victims, uh, it's two additional levels on top of that other two for vulnerable victim. Official victim uh, is a three additional offense level increase, and if you have someone somehow associated with this offense that was a, an official, or an official's family member or something, your antenna should go up. Uh, restraint of the victim is a two offense level increase. And if it's a terrorism offense, uh, we add 12 additional offense levels. And this guideline is somewhat unique, very unique for a chapter uh, three adjustment. Uh, and that is, it sets a floor, a floor of 32. And it was by adding 12 levels, if you haven't gotten to the floor of 32, by adding 12 levels, you drop on down to a 32 on the sentencing table. This one also has the uniqueness of affecting your criminal history category. We'll talk a little bit about that later. 
Now, these Chapter 3 adjustments under Part A for victim-related adjustments, some obviously are used more often than others. The ones I'll just sort of point out that you are much more likely to see are vulnerable victim. Vulnerable victim comes up in a lot of fraud cases where you have uh, people that are being defrauded because of their vulnerability. Uh, uh, the restraint of victim comes up in some robbery situations, but, but not terribly much. And I don't think that official victim or terrorism are used hardly at all. In our scenario, did we have restraint of victim? Okay. Now, how many think just off the top of your head that you would add the additional two offense level increase here? Your initial thinking should be, yep, I'm getting ready to add this. However, if the Chapter 2 guideline you have gotten through using, and again, we don't know which Chapter 2 guideline you started with, but if the one you did use has taken this factor into consideration, then do not add it a second time. It's an attempt by the commission to have you not what some refer to as double count. Basically, the commission's position has been, unless we tell you to do otherwise, assume as you go through guideline application, probably you're going to be giving these things. So if we didn't have the application note here saying don't give restraint a victim as Chapter 2 did it, you probably should make the assumption the commission intended for you to give it back there at Chapter 2 and to give it again here. That has been the basic approach, although again the case law is headed in a somewhat different direction. Chapter 3, Part B. Role in the offense, it, it has aggravating role, which can add four, three, or two additional offense levels. Mitigating role, which can reduce the offense levels. Abuse of position of trust or use of a skill, which can increase the offense level. Or using a minor to commit the offense adds additional offense levels as well. Okay, the obstruction adjustments in Chapter 3 at Part C. Uh, there's one for obstructing or impeding the administration of justice. Uh, the other is for reckless endangerment during flight. Obstruction can be obstructing both the investigation, the prosecution, and the sentencing. So there are a lot of things that could occur that would give us two offense level increase that occur after the offense is well over with. Uh, the defendant could be coming in giving some kind of material false information to the probation officer uh, in some investigation for the court, and that could trigger that. Uh, or the defendant uh, could at trial uh, essentially commit perjury, uh, and the court make the determination there was obstruction occurring in that regard. So uh, there are things that can happen beyond the offense itself uh, that could trigger this obstruction increase. The reckless endangerment during flight, uh, that characteristic occurs, uh, I think, most often in relation to immigration cases where people are coming across the border and there's these high-speed chases and there's a reckless endangerment that occurs. Acceptance of responsibility, Chapter 3, Part E, and that provides for a two-offense-level reduction if the defendant clearly demonstrates affirmative acceptance of responsibility for the offense. It does not require that an individual plead guilty to get acceptance responsibility and get the two levels off. Uh, however, 
It can't be one of these last-minute sort of conversions where the defense says, oh, now I'm convicted, I'd like to get two more levels off. The commission says that it should be viewed from the position as to what has this defendant done up until the time of trial in terms of behavior that would uh, manifest acceptance. If two levels are given, and only if the two levels have been given, then there's a potential third level off if you're at offense level 16 or higher. In other words, coming down this table, if you're 16 or further down on the table, uh, then it's potentially a third level off. Uh, that one it re requires a couple of different ways. The one that happens most often, we find, is that if the defendant early on will come in and save the a $200 smart car. Of a $200 smart car. You just turn your credit to cash. You're making 1800 bucks a month <clears throat> off a smart car. Mm. But since we're hearing you, my man, that's, that's, that's turning credit to cash. Sure. But what people don't know, and they say, listen, this is my, my goal is this, is that we in the 21st century, we don't live in the, the early 80s, in the, the, the early 90s, late 80s. We have such an issue with assets and liabilities. Mm -hmm. I thought it said on your shirt. Okay, so, right, <laughs> is that with assets and liabilities, we're stuck in the only, only realistic liability we have in today's society is our mindset. The way that we can think, the way that we can judge, and the way that we can execute. So when people look at a vehicle, now I just turn that vehicle, which most people say is a liability, into an asset. So you mean to tell me, they go, oh, you should leasing because cars are depreciating, um, they're depreciating liabilities. Right. But in today's society, we got apps like Turo. Right, right. In today's society, we got things like Hire Car. In today's society, we got Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta that that movie sets that literally rent cars and pull them on trucks and don't even put miles on them. To where Ooh. now, if you have an exotic vehicle or a nice vehicle, you can make it an actual asset because it generates capital more than it depreciates. So if you know the depreciation calculation of what it's going to depreciate and it makes more than that, this is an asset. Now it's a cash-driven asset. We have to get our mind out the way and start learning how to use technology. We let people sit there and tell us, yeah, we should lease vehicles and do this. Listen, if the vehicle pays for itself and then in the, in the time, by the time it depreciates to its bottom dollar, if it's already paid for itself, I now have a car free and clear that if I do get ready to sell it, mm. I still can have, it has a solid resale value. Wow. You've never seen a Rolls Royce for under 150000 I don't care what year you get. Right. Ferraris under 150000 I don't care what year you get. Well, Ferraris are, but Lamborghinis are certain cars that's always going to have a certain amount of value. Well, if you get one at the right year, it's easy to generate the capital off right. of it. It's just a mindset. See, people will trick us into saying, oh, stay out of position of of mediocrity and, you know, only invest in, 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 in assets. And you go look and say, well, what's assets? What's the assets? Why is the only thing that consider uh, liabilities things that we like? How can we make... Explain that, explain that, explain that. 
the things that we like, right? You look at it. People say liabilities, clothes, right? I'm, I jump on a private jet, whole family and Fendi. Go, oh, you know, that's a lot of money to spend on, on clothes, on these designer clothes. I say, well, these clothes last two years, though. Mm-hmm. When you wash the clothes that you went and bought from Walmart because you saved a, a couple bucks on your outfit, one, it don't look as good, and it right. don't feel as good. For sure. And it, it, it's just reality. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't last as long either. Yeah. It's the reason why Kanye West threw a tantrum and said they won't allow us into their factories because the materials that they use are better than the materials that come on the on the cheaper materials. It's a difference, right? Mm. It's a difference. Got but, it, got it, got it. But then they go, but it's expensive and it is, it's not worth the money. So I teach people, I say, listen, I turn credit to cash. So I run a business and I run ads. I run fifty to $60,000 of money ads. Mm. I get four points per dollars whenever I run ads. Well, because I'm growing my business, guess so what? You, you get four points per dollar. Yes. What do you mean? On my American Express Gold, they give you four points per dollar when you run ads. So. Also, oh, you run the ads using your American Express card. Boom. Gotcha. Then all of my other business expenses, um, fulfillments, and things like that. So if I'm spending, you know, as my business grows, I'm spending over $100,000 a month. Well, if my business is growing, I'm spending $100,000 a month, and I'm getting four points per dollar, guess what? What do you do with your reward points? Most people don't know. I teach people when they start off how not to pay for groceries and your expenses. Keep your expenses low as, as you grow your business. Mm-hmm. But you get to a point to where you start going and you look up and you got three million points, and you go, what do I do? Most people don't know that you can literally convert your reward points to gift cards for like Saks and Neiman's and go shopping to where I didn't pay for the clothes and the things that they see us in. Because I still like designer clothes, but I got it for free. I like that. I like that. I like that. I can live the life that I want and I don't have to be subjected to being irresponsible. I can drive a Rolls Royce and not be, oh man, you buying a depreciating asset no it's gonna make me more money than it cost me right I, I gotta ask you though each one of those is a victim I was like are you they're all owned by countrywide they're like no that's not how it works well then they turned around and they gave me an enhancement for having for stealing more than a mil or for whatever you uh, for stealing more than a million dollars from one financial institution and I was like Who's that? And they said, countrywide. And I went, well, well this doesn't even make sense. Like, countrywide, you you said, like, I didn't steal more than a, a million dollars from any one of those four countrywide. They said, yeah, but if you add them together, it's more than a million dollars. I said, but you said they were four individual victims. And then they said, no, no, or they're four corporate corporation victims. So four victims. They said, yeah, but for the purposes of this enhancement, we can add them together because they're all owned by Countrywide Bank. I mean, like, that's double jeopardy. You're hitting me for the same thing over and over again and just calling it something else. So 
the point is, is I got hit for that. I probably did an extra couple of years for that. Uh, and that's what they're going to do to Lugo. They're going to stack the charges and he's going to say, I'll plead guilty, but he's going to cooperate against all of his friends and family. And he's going to say, you know, uh, Jimmy helped me and Tommy helped me and Bob helped me and so-and-so helped me. And he did this and he did that. And he's going to put it together for him. And I'll bet you he still gets between five and 10 years. He's still going to get between five and 10 years. Even with all that, if he just says, you know what, forget it, I'm just going to cooperate, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to cooperate, I'm just going to, I'm just going to take my lumps, uh, you know, just, just, uh, I'll plead guilty and uh, I'll just take the charge. He's going to get 20 years. He's going to get 20 years because he was, he was on supervision when this, or on probation when this happened. He'd just been released from prison. He's already got a criminal history of fraud. I mean, and this is the other thing is you get an enhancement for fraud against the United States. He's going to probably get an extra two point enhancement for fraud against the United States. I mean, every time every one of these points incrementally gets larger and larger. So your first, you know, once you're in. Once you're up to like 10, so let's say the next point, let's say 10 and you're going to jail for a year. Well, the next enhancement is, let's say it's, let's say it's six months. So you're going to, we're going to add, you're, you're currently, you're currently getting 120 months, but you also have this enhancement. Well, that enhancement adds another six months. Now it's 126 months. Oh yeah, and we're also going to give you this other enhancement. Well, the next enhancement, it's not six months. Every new enhancement adds more months. So the next enhancement is eight more months. So now you're doing, um, you're doing 134 months. Oh, and then, and then we've got these other two enhancements. Well, that's not eight. Now it's, now it's 11. Plus, you know, so that's the next one's 11, and the next one on top of that is gonna be, you know, 14. So you're like, it just, next thing you know, every enhancement ends up, by the time they were done hitting me with enhancements, every enhancement, every enhancement for me, okay, was like 40 months, 43 months, 48 months, 52 months. I mean, they smashed me. It was, it was, it was just detrimental. Every time somebody was like, oh, well, also he did this and that's another enhancement. That's a one point. And some of these enhancements are two, three, four points. My point is this. He's going to do some time. He's not getting out. He's not going to get out on, on, uh, He's not going to get out on his own recognizance. He's certainly not going to get out on bond. He doesn't have any of his own money. I can't imagine that he could prove. If he had any of his own money, he, he wouldn't be ripping off the federal government. So most likely, he's going to sit in prison. He's going to cooperate as best as possible. And... And he's going to get sentenced and he's going to end up going back to Coleman and he's going to probably go back to 
B4, no, I'm just joking, I don't know what, <laughs> he'll probably go back to Coleman, though. He'll probably go back to Coleman Low, he'll see all of his old buddies, he'll walk in, they'll be like, I can't tell you how many times I saw guys leave. Listen, I did 12 and a half years. I watched guys get out of prison, get a new charge, come back to prison, serve their time for that new charge, get out of prison again, get another charge, and come back to prison. That's how long I was there. So he's going to see a bunch of the same guys, and they're going to walk in. He's going to walk in. I've seen these guys. They walk in, and you look up at them, and you go like that, and they're like... They just shake their head and they go, and you go, what happened, man? And they like, man, bro, you can't believe this, man. I, I got jammed up because of this or that or this, or, you know, I was doing this and I was doing that. And hey, what's going on? My name is Nate, lawyer slash YouTuber. And today I want to talk about Cardi B again. And we're going to actually just look up her case and look at what she's charged with and see how much time she can actually get. Because a lot of the Cardi B fans, I love you guys, thank you guys for watching, thanks for making comments, have been hammering me in the comments section saying that everything I'm showing you guys is fake news. So, it even got to one point where one fan was like, this is all fake, there's nothing about it. Then I actually said, here's the name, here's the link, go look it up. And they refused to look it up. So, just so we can all be on the same page. And because I've been challenged, it's time to provide that receipt. Let's go into the receipts. For those of you who don't know who Cardi B is and don't know who the people I'm talking about, check out this news clip. It'll get you caught up in a quick hot minute. Rapper Cardi B has been indicted on charges stemming from a melee at a Queen strip club. In April, Cardi B rejected a plea deal that would have included no jail time if she pleaded guilty to third-degree assault. Cardi B is accused of throwing items inside Angel's strip club in Flushing last August, injuring two bartenders. The 26-year-old due back in court next Tuesday. So our first stop is to the comments section. This is love me or let me leave. Uh-oh. And they edited. Now, this person says Cardi B is not facing 10 years. No way you're an attorney. Oh, no. So then I write back. Look it up yourself. Two felonies. See Cardi B's case, right? Defendant's name. Here's the link. Go check it out. Waterfalls come. I see nothing. I can't do anything. It's just like, oh, my God. Stop reporting false info. Can't see anything on the state's website. I put the link works for everyone else. So then we have some back and forth with other people. Now she's saying that she sees it or he or she or whatever's happening. So I started getting a couple of these comments. 
comments. I started getting comments saying that, you know, there's no way she's getting any time and I'm just missing it. I'm, it's wrong, 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 wrong. So I'm like, all right, let's do this. Let's just look it up ourselves and I'll show you exactly where I'm getting my numbers from. First, so you guys can see, we are going to e-courts. Now, if you're in New York and you're arrested, you can look up the case here. You can look up Harvey Weinstein. You can look up anybody's case here on e-courts. And you go to this place called Web Crimes. Now, I've already pulled it up. Now, I've used Cardi B's name, um, which is her government name. And you can pull up the case right here. Queen Supreme Court. Now, this is a court that handles felonies. So, there it is. And now, we look at her arrest information. So, this is the summary of her case. Defendant. Her birth year. Tells you, you know, what, what day she was arrested. What the incident was. You know, all this great stuff. So, now, we can see what's going on. We can see her attorney, for instance. And her next appearance date, which is March 19th, 2020. So now on this side right here, you see where it says appearances. So now we can actually see when she's been in the court and what happened. So she's been to court all these times, all these times, you know, in front of this judge, that judge, the court reporter. Um, and she's always been in front of the same judge. Now it's on for trial. So she's on for trial so she was arraigned i think she was arraigned on a misdemeanor that she was arraigned on felony so you, you can see it's all here and her next trial date her trial date is 3 19 2020 so that is her next date calendared for next week okay so this is the part, this is the part where I think people are getting confused on. So let's just go into it. It all, it is the charges. Here are the charges. Now, the first one, as you can see here, is a violation. It's harassment in the second degree. That's like a parking ticket. It's nothing. You know, nobody serves any jail in time for violations here in New York. It's a laugher, right? So the first two counts of violations. Yeah, throw them away. They're really worth nothing. Again, violations are like parking tickets. Class A misdemeanor is something interesting. Because a Class A misdemeanor, that means that you could spend up to 364 days in jail. You can't spend a year in jail because if you spend a year, it has to be a felony. And you have to be indicted for that. So, misdemeanors, you can spend up to a year in jail. Cardi's being charged with the misdemeanor, of, a misdemeanor of conspiracy. So, she could spend up to a year in jail, 364 days. Now, is she going to get that for any of these charges? Probably not. It all depends on her criminal history. It's a lot of factors that go into sentencing. But usually I tell you... The
guys, welcome to the Credit Game. My name is Mike. Uh, every day, multiple times a day, I want to come to you to make sure that you guys learn what you need to learn in credit, right? It is important to study credit, but when most people are working and doing other things, the last thing you want to think about is researching how do I do this, how do I do that, right? So by you guys subscribing to the videos here, right? So take a time, you know, click with, click the button, get subscribed. And then also turning on your bell. This is the thing that I always forget to tell you guys is to make sure you turn on your bell. So when you go to the top right corner, you'll see there's a little section to turn on your bell. And what that means is, is every time I do a video, you're going to get a notification saying, Hey, Mike, the credit game, just do a video out. Now, why do I do two a day and sometimes even three a day? Well, one, because the more that you're uh, top of mind with credit, the better you're going to get at it, right? That's why I don't put a video out once a week. I got, you know, some competitors that are out there that are throwing out videos once a month, right? You're not going to learn it. If you are inside this thing and I, boom, I got three, I put a three minute video on, you guys are watching it and you're getting notifications, then suddenly all once you're going to start to see a difference. Most of the people that work for me here, have went from the 500s in the 700s. Almost every single person who has been following me and has been, you know, an employee uh, of my company has went through a transformation, getting new cars, getting credit cards, and, and you know, helping themselves out and their family out with their credit. So, uh, and most people came in in the 500s, early sixes, and now are in the mid sevens to even 800s. So I want to help you guys just like I help them with just keeping yourself relevant, keeping current with the things that I'm teaching you. All of the topics that I teach you are things that you can implement right away into your life. Um, they're not things that happened 10 years ago. I keep it very relevant to uh, the news and the articles. So I make sure I do a due diligence before I do my videos. So. Uh, if you guys can find this in your heart, that is a video that you could say, Hey, look, I could share this video. Uh, we had just hit 400,000 subscribers over the weekend. Thanks to you guys. Um, again, I can't say enough. Thanks for, uh, helping by subscribing and hitting the thumbs up button. It really helped out, uh, which is allows me to do more videos a and B it allows more people to see it, which my goal. So you guys know is not to fix Ricky's credit or John's credit. My goal is to change the entire national credit average, right? So I'm not just trying to fix one person's credit. I'm trying to fix 280 million people's credit. And if I can get enough buzz out there because you guys are sharing the videos or you're hitting the thumbs up or you have a family member that could use the help, then by you sharing the video, uh, and turning on the bell notifications so you're getting notifications, ultimately what's going to happen is the credit game is going to expand so big that we can help everybody. And it's a win-win because now you're getting higher limit credit card. You're able to get cars that you want. You're able to get uh, maybe your first house or maybe an investment property or things, or maybe you could start your business in trucking or, or the real estate. Okay. So first of all, thank you. Uh, make sure you do those three things that I just mentioned. And also, I want you to pay attention. I know you guys, a lot of you guys use Credit Karma, right? Not my fan favorite, but 
you know, my vendor, we talk about who does the credit pair is Identity IQ. Okay, so you guys eventually will need Identity IQ. But for the purpose of this video, when you go to Credit Karma and you select, once you're logged in, you select, there's either TransUnion or Equifax. Okay, um, when you select one of those and you scroll down, you're going to see credit factors. And on the right hand side, you're going to see high impact. Okay, which is going to be your payment history. It's going to be your utilization, and it's going to be your derogatories. Those are the high impact. What I want you to focus on is not medium impact and low impact. Okay, so I want to give you this insight right here. So almost everybody has credit card. If you don't, sign up for it. It takes five seconds, right? Again, not my fan favorite for because it only gives you two bureaus. But for the purpose of this video, I want you to be able to kind of see what I'm talking about. The high impact things are essentially what makes up the biggest part of your credit score, right? Your credit score is made up of 542 algorithms. But what we really focus on is, is about five or six. I want you to focus on the top three, okay? So when you look at the high impact, whether it's derogatories or utilization or your payment history, uh, utilization and your payment history and your derogatories. You're now, some huge news has finally come out with the YNW Melly case. And this could actually really help YNW Melly in the long run and could potentially even be let free soon due to this. YNW Melly is still out here battling his court case for his freedom. And honestly, things were looking very concerning for Melly, but now with this new information coming out, it seems as if YNW Melly and his lawyers are now making moves for an early release. Make sure you guys watch until the end, as we have so much to cover. Now, allegedly, YNW Melly has been making some huge moves in his case for an early release. I am pretty sure everybody watching this video has most likely heard that there was this small video clip found of YNW Melly a few years ago basically admitting to doing this act towards his two best friends, YNW Juvie and YNW Sack Chaser. Now in this little video clip found of YNW Melly, he does say this and I quote, There's no regret for the stuff I did for that man to pass. And then according to the description of the video, YNW Melly then put a pen to his head as if it was some sort of you-know-what item. You could probably imagine what I'm talking about. Now, you would think that that would be it for YNW Melly. You would think with the courtroom having this alleged video that that would be it for YNW Melly and that he's basically done and over with. Well, YNW Melly, yeah, he practically just snitched on himself in this court case. But surprisingly, that video clip evidence may not be usable against him in court. And this will be absolutely huge if this happens. 
Now, allegedly, YNW Melly and his lawyer is trying to make the video of him basically snitching on himself unusable in court, as it can be taken out of context and the video could have been used for entertainment purposes to promote his song, M On My Mind. One of his biggest, if not his biggest, song ever released. Now, if this does end up working, and they are able to make this little piece of evidence unusable, I do strongly believe YNW Melly will be free soon. And one of the things they're backing this up with is when that little video clip was found, that is actually when that song was released apparently. Now this is alleged and I just want to make sure that's clear, but apparently that's when that song came out when this video clip was recorded. And that video clip could have been used as little entertainment purposes for that song to be promoted on his social medias. Now, the guy that YNW Melly was also locked up with at the time, otherwise known as YNW Borland, has actually already been released. YNW Melly and Bortland were locked up at the same time for this court case. And Bortland is currently out right now. He's actually trying to make a music career for himself at this very moment. And I do believe that the law is holding YNW Melly in lockup due to this one video clip that they found of YNW Melly admitting to doing this. But some even more great news for YNW Melly is that the law enforcement apparently doesn't even exactly have strong evidence on Melly. They don't have the firearm that was used, which means that there is no fingerprints, and there's also no fingerprints of YNW Melly's anywhere near YNW Juvie and YNW Sack Chaser. The only fingerprints of YNW Melly that was found is actually on his own seat in the car of where they were sitting on the day it all happened. And there's actually no witnesses or street cameras that captured or witnessed the incident all going down. So the only thing that the law enforcement has currently are these photos that I'm about to share on screen. And this is basically shows the car that they were all driving when this all went down. And I'm gonna break it all down for you right now. Make sure you continue watching. So, to go over the evidence, the first few pieces of evidence that will actually make sense is if you know a little bit of the backstory. So, YNW Melly ended up going out for a drive with YNW Juvie, YNW Bortland, and YNW Sack Chaser. The entire team of YNW, it was nothing too out of the ordinary of them all driving together, so that is a pretty good thing. So in this first photo that you can see, 
it actually shows where everybody was as we all should pretty much know by now las vegas is disneyland for adults only one of the benefits of you coming here is that a lot of things that are illegal in other states cities and countries you could do here 100 percent legally so in this video i'm gonna give you guys a few examples of things that are illegal in other states that you can do here 100% legally. So stay tuned. So you guys know I absolutely had to start with cannabis. So ever since the year 2000, cannabis has been legal in the state of Nevada. Not only is it legal, you could actually grow it in your backyard, in your own house, if you want to, if you are a Nevada resident. Now to some, that might sound too good to be true because there's a lot of restrictions with it. For example, you are definitely not allowed to smoke inside of resorts, casinos, or even in your hotel room. You are actually only legally allowed to smoke cannabis inside of your private residence. So your hotel room is not considered a private residence. The strip is not considered a private residence. So you could possibly get arrested. I recommend that you go to the parking lot of wherever casino you're in, go to the parking lot and smoke in the stairs. However, do that at your own risk. You are responsible if you get in trouble or not. Another place that you could also go to is Nouveau Cannabis Marketplace. It is the only, I repeat, the only weed smoking lounge in the entire country. For those of you guys who want to know more about Nuvu, make sure you watch my previous video right here. I have an entire segment about it. Another thing that is absolutely legal in Nevada is that you could buy alcohol at convenience stores, supermarkets, or pretty much anywhere. So this means you could literally go to CVS and go buy a bottle of Hennessy or buy a bottle of Syrah. This is pretty much unheard of anywhere in the entire United States. I know in Europe, especially Russia, they allow you to do it. But in the United States, it's pretty much a no-no to buy alcohol at a convenience store or at a supermarket. But you can do that here 100% legally. Speaking of alcohol, there is absolutely no open container laws in Las Vegas. That means you can openly drink your alcohol anywhere you want. You don't have to you don't have to buy a bottle and then go to your hotel room and drink it all, then go out. Now here you can absolutely take your alcohol out in public. You won't get arrested for it. Keep in mind the Las Vegas Strip have a no glass policy. So you cannot have any glass containers on the Las Vegas Strip. So if you want to bring your bottle, just get a jug, just get a jug of water or something, pour it out and then fill your alcohol with it and bring it with you everywhere you go. I always recommend the tourists to go to Walmart or CVS, buy your alcohol there and take it with you as you go around the strip and just put it in a water bottle or something. So you always have access to your alcohol while having to go back to your hotel room. That being said, we do have an open container rule when it comes to driving. You cannot drive with open container. 
you will definitely get fined or even arrested. Also, the same thing goes for taxis and Ubers. You are not allowed to bring your drinks in there. Unless the taxi guy or the Uber is pretty much cool and doesn't really care. Um, the only exception is with limos. Limo services usually have a permit that allows them to carry alcohol up there. Also, keep this in mind as well. You cannot have an open container 1,000 feet from where you bought it from. So if you bought it... So if you buy it from a CVS, you cannot drink it within a thousand feet from there. You have to transfer it to a different container. For those of you guys who like to gamble and to drink alcohol at any time, this place is for you. So in Las Vegas, you absolutely could gamble or drink at any time of the day it doesn't matter. In other states and countries, you are restricted, but in Las Vegas, there's no rule stopping you from drinking. You can drink or gamble 24 seven. Nobody's going to stop you. Most places, the majority of places sell alcohol 24 seven. They never close. Some nightclubs don't even close until 10 a.m. Also, some bars are 24 seven. So literally, when you come here, you can go to Buffalo Wild Wings at 8 a.m. right after you got out the club and order some beers and have fun with the guys. A lot of people that work in the nightlife industry, as myself, we would go get drinks after work or go get a bite to eat after work. This is really doable in Las Vegas since everything is 24-7. Las Vegas is pretty much the only city that I know a category E felony in Nevada would include possession of narcotics, a second time charge for peeping, solicitation of a minor for prostitution, or recruitment into a criminal gang. Most category E felonies would result initially in a sentence of probation but uh, they could also result in a prison sentence of up to four years in the state prison. For record seal on a category E felony, you are eligible to seek a record seal seven years after completion of your sentence. Never. There's no other men in your life throughout this process? No uncles? No. I had uncles, but you know, they all love my community. Mm. You know, they all love my community. Now let me ask you this. As a child, you didn't at least recognize them as men because those are the only adult males that you saw? Like, you didn't look at them like, oh, that's a man right there. But when you, when you see this, this success, I'm, was he black? Yeah, he was black. Seen a successful, suited black man, you're like, yo, that's a real man? I seen it. The difference was this, is that I seen somebody who can go in the room and, and be respected. People from our community, for some reason, my uncles and the people that was before me were fearful, couldn't speak to other races. Mm. They couldn't go comfortably in the banks and speak as comfortably and confident as they did when we was at home kicking the breeze, talking about yeah. each other. When we go out in public, I seen a different demise of men. It wasn't 
the same person. Yeah. And I and and that always stood out to me. And I remember one of my uncles was like, you know, just don't, man. I don't, I, I get uncomfortable talking to white people. Right. So when I see this guy owns businesses, owns homes, and we go into banks and they stand up and salute him when he walk in. I go, man, this is two blocks from where I grew up, but I didn't even know this was possible. <laughs> right? uh, so, you know, I think it's important. That's It's very, very important, especially for people that's watching now, or especially for a single mother raising men, that it's mm. very important to put them around and do whatever you have to do to at least let them see that as early as possible. Yes. You feel me? Yes. That changed my life. You asked me, what is my other friend doing now? Yeah. Because grass and halls jump. Mm. Because he didn't get the advice from your mom, I don't want you to be a poor hustler. A poor hustler. Does he own is he poor? No. Owns properties. Still owns houses outright. Right. But on a daily basis is so you can get stuck in the process of, I go work, make money, work, make money, work, make money. But it just so happened as an earlier age, you got exposed to, how can I work without getting my hands dirty? Boom. That's different. Boom. That's, that's different. That's, that's, and it was just to use my mind yeah. to put me in a different, a different ballpark. So putting me in real estate is what led me into credit. Mm -hmm. That's... And, it, and I look back and I go, literally, when I started my credit repair business, I literally went and got the documents out of my file cabinet that I did at his business. Mm -hmm. That put me in this position. Yeah. That's, and that's where I go when I look at today. When I look back, I go, your mindset is everything. And it's sometimes it's the environments that you get in and the people that have an effect on you that you don't really realize. I can make this judgment now looking back. Right. I didn't see that then. Yeah. I see it now when I go and I go, cool, I like to wear suits, but now I, I learn and I go, I can still be myself. I can still go out on the weekends and get dressed and, and, and go hang out with my friends in regular clothes and wear jewelry. I, I could have wore a t-shirt now and wear what I wanted to wear and still be me. Yeah. I'm sitting here in a suit, you sitting here, jeans, sneakers, baseball cap and a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. We're both successful fathers and entrepreneurs and leaders in our community. I can, people watching this, kids that's watching this, mothers that's watching this, your children need to see this. Yeah. That we can both, we can, sometimes we wear this and learn what it feels like you pull it off better than anybody else i believe man because like let's just say so i wear this on a regular basis when i wear a suit people are like oh, okay i see you okay got the suit on today you fly right and when people see you whether you're in like dress down or a suit people are like oh it's in 500 yeah right so even let's say I just, just my boy, uh, Mr. Two Weeks Out. He's normally dressed down. If you see him in a suit, it's like, oh, okay, I see yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, right. Yeah, so you, yeah. you, I think you pull it off the best because there's some people that wear suits all the time, and when they dress down, they're like, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Who's this guy? Right, right. Yeah, right. yeah. Now nah, that's awesome. So, but for the person that you are today, in terms of you don't have any like just just huge months and success in business. But this wasn't your first venture. I mean, so we're uh, we're buying cars, fixing them up, getting the real estate. How long was the real estate journey? I got in real estate. Graduated two thousand six. High school. Yeah. You, you familiar with real estate? Yeah, I have my license. So far. Okay, so you understand what happened? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it was yeah, excellent yeah, 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 yeah. when I got in. For sure. Oh, I was speaking at churches. Yeah. I was speaking at churches. They like, yo. They wanted the lab. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We want the lab. We want the lab. And, um. So, I mean, this next part's gonna fucking kind of sound kind of bad. On my part. When you snitch? Oh, for sure I did, yeah. yeah. I'm not going back to prison. Right. I'm not going back to prison. Okay? Listen, fuck these motherfuckers. Motherfuckers. Fuck these motherfuckers. You know what I mean? That's right. my attitude. Right. I'm not going back to prison for these motherfuckers that I don't even know. Right. You know what I mean? So they're like, we want the lab, we want the lab. I'm like, all right. So this dude's the mastermind, I told him. You know what I mean? This dude's the fucking mastermind. I threw Buddy under the bus. I'm sorry, Buddy. <laughs> if you ever watch this, I'm fucking sorry. His name is Buddy? No, his name's not Buddy. Oh, okay. I'm fucking sorry, dude. I apologize. But I wasn't going back to prison. I apologize. Yeah, my bad. Um, who was the, who, it wasn't the Secret Service, though, that grabbed you. It was no, the, this was the Miami Financial Crimes Unit. So it hadn't, I was like, is this federal? That's the first thing I asked him. I was like, is this federal? He's like, no, it's not federal. I was like, okay, now I got some wiggle room. Then I knew I had some wiggle room. You know what I mean? Because if it's federal, you're fucking, you're done. They're just going to indict you, and then you can cooperate. And, and then you're you, still going to prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're no still way. going to prison. Yeah, so if it was federal, I was going to be like, you know what? Let's go right now. Right. Because it would have done me no good to fucking, to do anything. But it was it was local. So I knew I had some wiggle room. Mm. You know, you can, you, can, you can work with them. So I gave him the dude's fucking address, and then the dude fucking calls me while they're there. All this is happening. This this was just they just just the wrong fucking day, dude. Yeah. The wrong day. The dude calls me because we were waiting on the embosser to come in, and I was because the lab was at his house. Because I was like, that's what I told the dude. I was like, dude, I'm not setting all this shit up. I got my fucking probation officer comes over here. Right. She's right. going to come in here and see what, ask me questions about all this equipment. I'm not even supposed to have a fucking laptop. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Fuck. Right. So we had all this shit set up at his house. He calls me while they're there. I had to put it on a fucking speakerphone. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's talking to me. And he's like, you know, did it show up? I'm like, yeah, it's here. He's like, uh, come drop it off now. I'm like, ah, I can't really do that. And they're like, <laughs> They're both like, fuck. I'm like, all right, where you want to meet at? So he's had me meet, meet him at this fucking, uh, I don't remember what it was, like a Publix or something like that. And he's like, oh, we got to we gotta mic you up. We got to mic you up. I'm like, what the fuck are we talking about? Like, oh, listen, I'm not wearing a wire, man. What the fuck are you guys talking about? You know what I mean? Like, he's like, no, 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 it's not like the movies. You know what I mean? They brought me like a fucking pager. And the pager was like a listening device. It was like a microphone. <clears throat> And I had to fucking wear it in my pocket when I went and dropped the fucking the thing off to him. Yeah. 
So I drive. So I meet the dude at Publix. I drop the fucking. Um, I drop. This is this whole story is wild. I drop the fucking. I drop the um the thing off with him. I wear the fucking listening device once again, dude. I'm sorry. I wear the fucking listening device. You know what I mean? I'm fucking such a piece of shit for this, dude. I, I I'm hundred percent, but I'm not going back to prison. Right? You know what I mean? Right. Fuck that. I'm not going back to prison. Right. Yeah, it's what, it what it is, dude. I'm sorry. So, um, yeah, I had to wear the listening device on Buddy, and then fucking meet at Publix. Meet at Publix. I dropped it off. I met with him. Uh, I drove somewhere, and then one of the one of the two dudes that were there met me there. They followed um, him to his house, and then called in fucking reinforcements, and they fucking raided his house. And found all the equipment. Everything. Mm. They found all the equipment. So he was like, um, he's like, all right. He's like, you can go. The dude at the thing, he's like, you can go. I was like, all right. He lets you walk. He let me walk. But he's like, we'll be in contact with you. And he's like, you know, we have to, we have to report this to your probation officer. We have to. It's by law. We have to. Right. So I was like, well, all right, fuck. I'm on. I'm running. You know what I mean? Because now I got, I got a little while you, to get you, to my back to my fucking apartment, pack a bag, and get the fuck out of Dodge. You know, what you're I mean? gonna get a probation violation. One thousand percent. I'm gonna get a probation violation. Go back to prison. Yeah. So yeah. even if definitely the state says, even if the state says we won't. Okay, we're not gonna charge them. I was federal engaging would be in like, illegal activity, which is clearly a fucking yeah. violation of the rules yeah. of my fucking conduct, my probation. Mm. You know? Yeah. Doesn't matter. Clearly, they don't want me fucking printing credit cards. You know what I mean? Yeah. In my apartment. Or attempting, or hand. They can. They can. Yeah. They're gonna. They're gonna violate you for any, something like that. They're gonna violate you for anything. Right. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. So I take off. I go back to my 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 little apartment I had. Um. And at this time, I we hadn't even started making any money yet. At this time, like I was still fucking working at the warehouse. I still really didn't have shit. I mean, I had a little bit of money because I was doing, um, we were making cards, so I was going out and doing a little bit of store carding and shit, you know what I mean, just to have a few yeah. dollars here and there because mm-hmm. I, was, I was doing bad, dude. Right, I was right. doing fucking bad. I went, I went up to the used car lot at the end at the end of the street and got a fucking old uh, 2003 Cadillac fucking uh, 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 DHS or some shit like that. I mean, it was fucked. It wasn't, you know, my former glory, but I was trying to get back. To my former glory, you know what I mean? You ever see that fucking movie, Kingpin? And captured him. They say, we have no proof that he was arrested, but they say they arrested him. This guy was able to do all of that, and he came back would not a had a place. He was able. He, he was able to be taken in alive. I mean, it's a miracle how they did it, because you know normally they kill and they shoot you seventy. They shoot you seven hundred times. Kill just kill just over. They overkill, but somehow. They managed to have restraint. They figured it out. They preserved life. Nobody got shot. They gave the suspect 
multiple opportunities to kill them. The suspect even warned them, hey, I'm capable of killing you. I said, I'll kill you. They gave him opportunities to kill him because you know how they say, oh, you got a split second to respond and you got to do what you got to do, you know, because we're trying to make it back home. Well, they actually gave the suspect opportunities to not allow them to make it back home. I mean, they gave him that. And they got through it anyway. It was absolutely incredible to watch them work. I mean, it's like, man, this is this is textbook police work right here. I mean, this is top-notch academy. Damn. Maybe they can teach the other cops, the white cops specifically, because the black cops don't go around gunning down black folks or any folks. Uh, somehow the black people, the black cops, don't just go around killing unarmed people. Somehow the black cops, maybe the black cops get trained at a different academy. I don't know. It's some, I can't put my hand on it. But the data is not coming back right. What's up, Thomas said? Yeah, the data, it's just, it's something they figured out, man. They, they, they had it right. Uh, kudos to their teachers, their instructors, uh, and them for uh, following, uh, following their training. Like, man, they did that. It was absolutely unbelievable. So we're going to talk about that in about 30 minutes. We're going to talk about that on Willie D Live channel. You don't want to miss it, fam. I'm going all the way in. All the way in. I'm just getting warmed up right now. I'm just getting warmed up. So 30 minutes, fam. Give me 30 minutes. I'm going to be on the Willie D Live channel. If you're on YouTube right now, I mean, if you're on uh, Facebook, you can click the link in the description and um, it'll take you to the Willie D Live channel on YouTube and you can just uh, click that button and subscribe. Make sure you subscribe. You want to make sure you get all of. You want to make sure you get all of your um, your notifications when you when you subscribe. Make sure you select all notifications. Otherwise, you may not get any. The only notifications you're gonna get from me is when I drop a new video. That's it. I don't send out notifications for nothing else. So, click that bell and select all notifications. Otherwise, you may not get any. James, who is this, James Martin? Appreciate you, James Martin. Yeah. So, fam, get your comments ready.
it's about to go down. 30 minutes, it's about to go down on the Willie D Live channel on YouTube, all right? Until then, fam, no more talk. Him this. I'm getting information from Pop's criminal attorney, and he's in communication with LAPD and the detectives out there. It's definitely way, way closer than it was a couple of months ago. Justice will definitely be served. And, well, Stephen Victor was right. Because in the early morning of July 9th, 2020, the LAPD arrested five suspects on warrants related to Pop Smoke's case. The five suspects were 18-year-old Keandre D. Rogers, 21-year-old Jaquan Murphy, 19-year-old Corey Walker, and two other juveniles whose names were not made public due to them being minors at the time of the arrest. Various media outlets reported that the LAPD solved this case the old-fashioned way by going door-to-door -door interviewing everyday civilians in hopes that they saw or knew any inside information that they've not yet heard. They also went and obtained security camera footage from neighbors and nearby businesses, which played a big role in tracing the suspects back to Hoover Street in South Central Los Angeles. Upon arresting and interrogating the suspects, the LAPD retracted their first theory of this being a targeted hit and changed it to a robbery gone bad. It was also noted that authorities think that the social media posts made by Pop Smoke, revealing the address and expensive purchases, are what inspired the unfortunate events to take place. The LAPD also suspects that those involved in Pop Smoke's case were also involved in another case, dating back to September 14, 2019, which resulted in the death of 18-year-old Cameron Stone at the Rose Bowl parking lot in Pasadena, California. The three adult suspects are currently still in custody and are each being held on a $1 million bail. This is overall an incredibly sad situation. The world lost an extremely talented artist, all because a few criminals thought that they could come up on a successful rapper visiting their city. Pop Smoke was only 20 years old at the time of his passing, and had such a bright future in front of him. His posthumous album, Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon, debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, with over 250,000 sales in the first week. This goes to show you how much people adored Pop Smoke and his music, and it's such a shame that his posthumous album will be his first and also his last album. While we'll never get to see what Pop Smoke would have become in the next few years, it's at least nice to see that those who caused his tragedy will be brought to justice and will hopefully spend the rest of their lives behind bars.
and I really appreciate the LAPD for all the work they put in to make this happen. If you enjoyed this video explaining how the LAPD solved Pop Smoke's case, then feel free to leave a like down below. Also, if you're interested in seeing more content just like this, press the subscribe button as well as the notification bell to be notified whenever we upload. Also, if anyone has any interesting topics that they would want to see covered on this channel, then comment down below and I'll take a look into them. That's all I have for today. I'm out. In terms of the severity of penalty, possession would be the least serious narcotic offense. Then would come possession for sales of narcotics would be more serious. Then actual sales of narcotics and finally trafficking of narcotics. And in essence, the penalties go up like steps uh, with each level of narcotics possession. Nevada narcotics laws are actually the harshest in the country. And even sale of a small quantity of narcotics can subject an individual to substantial periods of incarceration. As a matter of fact, under the Nevada trafficking law, sale of more than 28 grams of a controlled narcotic can subject an individual to life in prison upon conviction. Uh, although the, the statutes are broken up into uh, possession, uh, possession for sale, sale of narcotics, and trafficking laws, uh, because uh, the amounts in, uh, to be considered trafficking in Nevada are so low, as a matter of fact, four grams or higher can, can constitute trafficking in Nevada. Um, if you're charged for trafficking, you know, you really need to obtain counsel because the penalties are very harsh here. The good news with regard to narcotics laws in the state of Nevada is, although the laws themselves are very harsh, typically prosecuting agencies are fairly reasonable about negotiating resolutions in these cases. For example, um, one case that got a substantial amount of media attention was when Paris Hilton was arrested for possessing cocaine. And um, it was originally a felony charge. There was a lot of immediate media attention. Other celebrities and, and certainly a lot of people that aren't famous, you know, going to Nevada, specifically Las Vegas, to, to have a good time, to party, uh, and choose to engage in narcotic activity. Um, most often, although the penalties uh, are severe, um, for a simple possession of narcotics, it's very common to be able to negotiate a resolution that involves a plea to a misdemeanor offense so that uh, a fun time in Las Vegas on the weekend doesn't necessarily turn into a lifetime of uh, difficulty uh, and a, a felony record.
I'm attorney Michael Becker with the Las Vegas Defense Group. If you or a loved one has been charged with a criminal offense in Las Vegas or throughout the state of Nevada, trust in me and my legal team to get your case dismissed or otherwise negotiate a resolution that causes minimal harm to you in your future. Chris is in New York City. Hey, Chris, how can we help? Hey, Dave, they can, uh, great to be on the show. Thanks. How can we help? Yeah, um, uh, real quick, I just want to give a shout-out to my girlfriend, Maria Jose. She told me to call in. Um, reason I'm calling is because I've got a lot of friends who are buying into cryptocurrency, and, you know, my investments are all in mutual funds like you recommend. Um, and I'm hearing about, you know, Bitcoin, dog or dogecoin and all these other things and i I just wanted your thoughts on how to respond when people try to pressure you to invest into this stuff and maybe even get your thoughts on cryptocurrency in general okay i wouldn't do it why because i think it's still very speculative we've already seen big highs and big lows and i think it's still rocky i do think that crypto is coming to stay i think right now it's a lot of speculation and until it gets adopted and we start seeing businesses move that way i'd i'd stay on the sidelines and it's not a part of our investment strategy at ramsey solutions either so there there's that too which dave you're far more versed in that well, than it, i am but know, I it's, had an, it's had an incredible year yeah, people made a lot of money out this year, without yeah. a doubt, no question about that. Um, but they make a lot of money on cocaine too, um, <laughs> right. and they make a lot of money on uh, you know playing futures, and they make a lot of money at, at the blackjack table, and they make a lot of money betting football. But these are not investment strategies. That's correct. These are these are uh, things that you can jump into or jump out of that are uh, uber unbelievable high risk Mm -hmm. and so the problem is is that people don't perceive the risk in bitcoin and it's there it's 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 a it's not it's not fully adopted they made a lot of money this year made a lot of money in gold a few years ago too and tell people not to buy gold and all the gold bugs are going dave ramsey's an idiot he doesn't understand no dave ramsey completely understands i've lost my butt in a bunch of high risk investments over the years i quit doing it I don't like having to start over. It's too expensive. So if you want to start over, play crap that's high risk. If you don't want to start over, do what you're doing. But you're not going to convince friends who are making a bunch of money that they're stupid. Just let them be stupid and smile. It's okay. No, I'm here is because of that job. You feel what I'm saying? Also. So because my chief, uh, Chief Labatt, shout out to him, he actually made us go to mandatory budget meetings, right? Mm. So I never wanted to go. This is my second one. I had to go, and he made us go, like, before going to our shift. So mm. before going home. So we did a whole shift, and afterwards, we had to stay to go to the budget meeting. Budget meeting. And what's going on in the budget in meeting? In a budget meeting, it's a guy. He's teaching you about how to budget your money, how to, you know, kind of keep the money coming in and save it and put it in the stock market, everything, right? Oh, I so didn't personal know. budget. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he's he's you. a it's a black dude. He pull mm-hmm. up. He pull up in that joint. He got the, the icy gold rings. He got his wedding ring. Is gold. The ring on the other side. Gold. Cool looking dude. OG. Yeah. Got a nice little suit on. When he step in, he say, uh, "Hey." He like, uh, 
what's going on in the stock market today, guys? And no, nobody raised their hand. He said, if I was in a room for a millionaire, everybody's hand would have been raised. Mm. I was like, damn, he got me. He got me. Like, I ain't want to be there. And I was like, hmm, he got me. I'm, right. I'm tuning in now. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like the messenger. Like, we don't, before you know, like, you don't really know, like, it's not the, the message, it's the messenger. Yeah. So, like, I wasn't buying into him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But when he said that, I was buying in. I'm ready. I'm like, yo, this is... Jay-Z talking now. Right. So he had that swag about himself. So I, I bought in. So long story short, he goes into talking about uh, credit and, you know, how his son, he's buying a house for his son. Like, not buying it for his son. His son is buying a house. He's helping him. Mm. And he's helping him get his first car and all this stuff. And he's just going, to, I'm telling him how, which cars to get. He has the option of anything. And I was like, how do you got all these options? Right. You know, he can just, I, I went to the lot. I was like, what can I get? Like, <laughs> right, you know what right, I mean? Right. So he basically introduced me to the credit game. So what he did was he started saying all these things that I didn't know were possibilities. So when he tells me this, um, I'll just like, I'm vulnerable. I got like a 400 credit score. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I got a 400 credit score, bro. Like I talked to him after I said, I got a 400 credit score. And what do I do to switch up my sweat? Like, how can I start building it? And he was just like, he told me exactly what to do. And when I tell you, mm. I did it verbatim. So I'm gonna tell you what he told me. He said, he said, um, go ahead and uh, get you a secure credit card. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where you self guarantee it. And it's going, it's going to probably be $200. Right. He said, they're going to guarantee approve you because it's to help you build your credit. Right. And he said, now have that for six months. Make sure you keep it under 30%, pay it off early. Let it hit, then pay it off early. It's going to reflect to your thing that you're using a revolving credit, right? And he said, after six months, they're going to send you an unsecured one. And that's exactly what happened. Absolutely. And they did it, and then they also increased my limit on the secured one. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to find out everything to do with credit because right. my credit shot up crazy. So my credit shot up crazy. I got a credit card. Now... Did he open the door? That's my man. No cut. So yeah, my credit shot up crazy. I go like, all right, dude, this dude, he got me hyped. I'm like, I got to find yeah. out everything about credit. So he basically turned me up. Like, so I'm finding out about credit. And now I got all of these abilities to do things. And I'm like, damn, um, I was tripping for years. Like, I should have been doing this. So this, like. How old were you at this point? I was like 25. 25. I'm 31 now. So that's what, before I, right before I jumped into this entrepreneurship yeah. swag. Because I was like, all right. I, and then I seen, after I, I met this guy, I did what he said, I stayed with him to jail. But then I seen like a Steve Harvey commercial, I know everybody's seen it, when he's talking about, you never going, if you don't jump, you're never gonna be able to fly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, when yeah, I tell you that, he spoke right to me. He spoke right to me, bro, so I, I was like, all right, I seen that, and then I just decided to jump, I ain't had no plan. So now my credit is up, right? I'm, uh, I'm like, you all say right. jump, you just quit I just the job. quit the job, I just quit the jail. I'm talking about, I was out of there, like, I, really? two, I gave him a two-week notice, and I ain't had no plan. I lied to him and told him I was going to go to school just so it sounded better, just in case I did have to go back, right? <laughs> so, What I was your living situation at this point? I was living, uh, I was in an apartment. I was, always got, I was always good. I was financially literate to a point, but I just didn't know about credit. Right. So I had some money. So according to like people with nine to fives, I was pretty straight. Gotcha. So I never was like, you know, struggling. Which is why you don't have the habits now. Like, you don't necessarily, um, like, you're not the flashy guy. Nah, for you know what? what I, mean? I, under, I understand it. So I've always been, like, I'm, I'm something wrong with me. 
That's what it is. There's something wrong with me. So look, I never really have vices and stuff. I don't smoke or drink. I never have. I've never been drunk. I've never been high, right? So this also accumulates to women as well. I don't have bad habits giving spending money on women. Yeah. So I was like, bro. So before when I'm watching the Steve Harvey thing, I'm like, why am I not rich? I was like, I don't got nothing holding me back from being rich, bro. Like, why am I not rich? So I, I just, you know, just started invent like thinking about like I can do this. Like I started believing in myself, which is clearly the, the all you need to do really to be For successful. Sure. You believe that you actually can do it. Cause we hear no so much, we be like, Bro, mm, not so bar that probably just went over most people's heads. Man. Like what like yo, the core foundation is the belief that yo, I can I can make some money. Right. I can I can be rich. That's it. <clears throat> and once I started believing that, I went out and started going out of four throttle. So I quit. I was like, no plan. I said, I'm going to just drive Uber and Lyft in the meantime. Hey, what's up? This your boy, Big Man. You already know what it is, man. So let's get right to it. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about YFN Lucci. Now, YFN Lucci just got into the news lately because of something not related to his other court case. Now, what I mean is he was sued by a rapper, him and PMB Rock to be exact, man. Now, the last time we checked in with YFN Lucci, he had just been released from jail after being charged with murder and a couple of other charges involving a shooting that took place in Atlanta, man. It was a real wild situation, and it's gone kind of quiet, man, because, you know, the folks, they were basically coming for wife and Lucci, and they got him. He was arrested. I did several videos. They dropped a 911 call that led to, the, to his arrest. They also, man, posted the fact that he was out on bond. It was a whole bunch of stuff going on with wife and Lucci last month. Or even, should I say, the month before that. Now, the last we heard of him, he got out, and now we're going to be talking about this court case. Now, in the court case, it looks like him and PMB Rock were being accused of taking somebody's song for their hit, Every Day We Lit. Now, YFN Lucci and his camp has yet to say anything about this situation, but PMB Rock and them got taken to court, and I'm going to tell you how it went. Not in a favor. Now, before we get into the specifics, do me a favor. Make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And man, let's get it. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about this YFN Lucci PNB Rock court case. Now, to be honest, it was more directed towards PNB Rock. Because in the story, it talks about the uh, fact that YFN Lucci might have already made some type of separate agreement for this situation. Now, it doesn't go into any specifics, but this is the case, man. So there's a New Jersey rapper by the name of Rat Boy Cam. Now, Rat Boy Cam was suing PMB Rock and YFN Lucci, and he actually won the lawsuit. Now, the lawsuit was a copyright infringement case, and it was over the song Every Day We Live. Now, for those of you who don't know, YFN Lucci Man was on a tear for a while. He had a whole bunch of hit songs that came out, man. And Every Day We Lit was one of them. 
Now, it was featuring a Philadelphia rapper by the name of PMB Rock. Now, a lot of you might not be, you know, up on game about PMB Rock, even though he's pretty significant in the hip hop game around that time frame. You know what I mean? He's gone a little quiet since then. But, you know, during that time, he was really, really lit out here, man. No pun intended. Now, in this lawsuit, it was saying that PNB Rock and, and the producer, June James, had stolen from this New Jersey rapper, Rack Boy. Now, Rack Boy had a song called Everything Be Lit. Now, just off the name, you could tell they're similar. Now, when I listened to both songs, I mean, I kind of heard what was familiar between the two, man, you know, the similarities, but it looks like, man, my opinion doesn't matter because a judge, I mean, basically awarded uh, Rack Boy $1.7 million in a judgment, man. Now, this is what it says in a complex article in the news. It basically says this. It says, in 2018 lawsuit, in a 2018 lawsuit, excuse me, Rack Boy argued that the song Every Day We Lit, on which the three aforementioned artists were featured, is deeply similar to his effort, Everything Be Lit. Earlier this month, Rack Boy's lawyer, Christopher W. Nero, secured a significant copyright infringement victory that netted his client over $1.7 million. Since an agreement was already reached with wife and Lucy, like we said earlier, and think it's a game records. The judgment was made against PMB Rock and the song's producer, June James. Now, this gets really interesting because it, the way that they split it up. So basically, in the judgment, they said this. He got... Over $1.4 million in cash, or he was granted $1.4 million in cash, and close to $268,000 in, in prejudgment interest. So a running, and a running royalty, plus costs, and injunction against James and Allen's exploitation of the infringing work. Man, that sounds like they threw the book at PNB Rock in there, man. Because... That, yeah, that counts up to about $1.7 million. But then the running royalty and all that, and interest, man, that's, that's crazy, man. So dude took to social media, and a lot of people have been talking about this, right? I seen Say Cheese posted earlier. I seen a lot of different news sources posted. I think Complex News is the closest to this situation. But it looks like... A Category E felony in Nevada would include possession of narcotics, a second time charge for peeping, solicitation of a minor for prostitution, or recruitment into a criminal gang. Most category E felonies would result initially in a sentence of probation, but uh, they could also result in a prison sentence of up to four years in the state prison. For record seal on a Category E felony, you are eligible to seek a record seal seven years after completion of your sentence. Most people think of perjury as testifying falsely in a courtroom, but a lot of people don't realize 
For example, when you go to the Department of Motor Vehicles and you fill out your application for a driver's license, they ask you a lot of questions. Have you ever had a driver's license before? Have you ever had a driver's license in a different name? We're seeing a lot more prosecutions here in the state of Nevada for perjury in relation to uh, applications for driver's license due to the fact that our state recently has decided, starting in January of 2014, to give driver's license to undocumented aliens. And some of those people may have obtained some kind of ID previously um, under a different name or in a different state. And they come and they file for a driver's license in the state of Nevada. They provide a thumbprint or the state uses facial recognition technology to make certain that the applicant for a driver's license has never applied for a driver's license previously in a different name. And we're seeing a lot more of these prosecutions now when they can match someone up as having obtained a driver's license in a false name previous to a recent application. Um, hey, this is Matt Cox and welcome to The Grind. Today I'm gonna talk about uh, something the water guys have asked me about, which is uh, basically being on federal, it's federal probation, or I mean, in my case, it's called uh, supervised release. So here's the way it works. Let's say you're convicted of a crime. Um, maybe you go to trial and you, you lose. and Or maybe you plead guilty because you just can't go to trial. You're just that guilty. The truth is, even if you go to... Even if you're not guilty and you go to go to court, you're, you're probably got... Even if you, you, could, you could be just completely not guilty, you probably still have about a 60% chance of being found guilty. Maybe even more. So let's say you you end up taking a plea, or you end up um, you end up getting found guilty at sentencing. So when after you've done your time or your sentence, let's put it this way: once you're sentenced, the judge will say, "Okay, you're going to get." 10 years, but when you're released, you're going to do five years, basically prisoners call it, um, paper. So, but it's basically, it's like, it's, they'll call it supervised release. So you're going to get five years supervised release or three years supervised release or whatever your specific judge says you're going to get. And then when you're on paper, there are certain, there's, it's called the judgment and commitment. You're governed by your judgment and commitment. And the person that's in charge of making sure you follow all the rules is your probation officer. So in my case, I'm currently on what's called supervised release. And which is basically, it's just probation. 
you have a probation officer, it's just what they call it. Um, so I'm on federal supervised release, and my judgment commitment says that, it, for instance, in my case, in my case, you know, I have to tell them, like, when I first got off, uh, I had to see a court-ordered um, therapist once, once a week. Uh, I also have to, because I owe restitution, I have, I have an annual uh, financial, af uh, financial affidavit that I have to fill out. Uh, every month I have to provide my bank statements for all bank accounts. I'm not allowed to take out new credit of any kind, no new credit cards, new credit lines, nothing like that, not without permission. Um, I have to notify them where I'm going to live. I have, I, for the first year or so, I had to do random, there were random urine tests, even though I don't have a drug case. I had to do random urine tests. So, uh, that lasted for about a year. And I also had to pay restitution because I owed almost $6 million in, in a re restitution. Because I had a bank fraud case. So, what happens, the way the restitution is paid back is this. My judgment and commitment says that the, the light is changing. It's because I don't have a ring light or anything with me. So, I'm using basically the TV as my light. And there's a commercial, so I'm changing colors. So I have to pay restitution per my judgment and commitment, and it's always different. It really just depends on what the judge says. And I know guys that owe five, ten million dollars, and the judge says you have to pay ten percent of everything you make um, over to the government to redistribute to your victims. Let's say, assuming you have victims. And in my case, my judge said that I have to pay $150 every single month, no matter what. Anything I make over $2,000 a month, I have to pay 25%. So if I make $2,000, I pay $150. If I make $3,000, I have to pay... $400. So I have to pay the $150 plus 25% of the extra $1,000. So that comes to $400. If I make $4,000 in a month, that means I have to pay the $150 plus 25% of the extra $1,000 or, or plus 25% of the extra $2,000. So that ends up being $650 I would have to pay every single, every month. And, and they also get to look at my bank statements and my credit report and those sort of things. For, for instance, when I first got out, I was able to buy a vehicle, but I wasn't able to get a, a loan. Um, later my car was falling apart and I had to go to my probation officer and I had to ask her if I could get a new loan. So they're going to be keeping it longer. So these people that are keeping their cars for three, four, five months. This cars that I got that I haven't seen 
in months because they're using it now for either um, Uber driving or they just want their car longer. Some people might say, wait, why don't you just buy the car? Some people have cash flow gaps. They don't have a bunch of income all at one time, but they get paid every now they and then. They want a nice car, but they can't show the bank that they reason. make this type of money. That's another reason. They, got, they can't have no proof got of income. You. No proof of income. Some people don't want a car in their name. Some people don't can't even get a car because their insurance, they can't get no insurance. They got a DUI before. They can't get any insurance. There's so many situations and circumstances people are in on why they need to rent a car. And I did research on all that, so I know who to serve. Mm. Some people say, well, I don't, I don't want to be on hire car. How can I get Uber drivers? There's a place where you can find, guaranteed to find Uber drivers sitting there chilling. Airport. Go to the airport and say, hey, how much you paying for this, this car that you got from Uber? Sometimes Uber provides cars for people mm. and charges them directly the monthly fee. Right. So you ask them, how much they charge you? And they charge me three eighty a month. I got a car that's better for you, better year, Yo. and I'm going to charge you $50 less. I'm about to ask my boy because he, he actually drives for Uber. And ask him how much he's paying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know. Is he situation. driving his own car? Because if he's driving his own no, car. No, he got it from Uber. Oh, yeah, see, find out. And oh. all you got to do is tell him. I got a cheaper car for you. So if y'all can, y'all can, y'all can oh, hear this. Re- we were live? Oh, we live. Say less. <laughs> yeah, bro. Oh, this is going to be good. Real quick. Um, you, you rent your car directly from Uber? Oh, you? Oh, oh, yeah. 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 How, dude, are, are you in a are you in a ride right now or something? Uh-uh. Okay. I'm, I'm actually getting a whole change. So how much do you on on the car, the rental car the car you got from them? Um, I think the normal thing is like two twenty five a week, but I pay like um eighty a week. How'd you do that? Golly. Because I know somebody that um. Works there. I actually met somebody and got a little relationship with them. Gotcha. Yeah, they just, <laughs> they how just long, did something. I don't know. How long? How long were you paying two eighty a week though? Two two twenty a week. I was yeah. it was like two twenty a week. That was when I had that black car. Remember a long time ago? I picked you up at Lexus. Yeah. How how long were you paying for that? Or how long did you do that? Oh, as long as you have a car. Um. I actually wrecked that car. <laughs> <And> then... <laughs> Yo, listen, I don't see that, but how how long did you have the car though? Um, I had that car for like uh, I think about four four months or something. Paying two twenty a week. Uh huh. So quick eight eighty a month. Uh huh. Okay. How much do you think that car note was? The actual car note was? Like that car note had to be nothing. 200. Goodness gracious. Okay. What, you, what are you saying? Was you, you saying like I was getting screwed? No, no. I'm just about to get a car and put it on Turo and rent it out to Turo drivers. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. 
But it, the difference is um, the tour drivers, they just want to ride around in the car. Not tour, I mean uh, uh, Uber. My bad, Uber. Uber. Oh, Uber driver. Oh, that's, oh, that's, that's Aaron? Aaron? I'm like, yeah. Oh. I don't say his name. Mr. Let Go yeah, in but, the building. Uh, so, you're going to say his name. Hey, All right, listen. <laughs> All right, so, um, yeah, so I'm about to get a car and put it on. Um, hire car. Put it on hire car So for Uber drivers uh-huh. to drive. You know a lot of drivers that do that, right? Do what? That uh-huh. rent cars from from Uber and these other places to drive. Nah, uh, I don't know nobody. How'd you know? How'd you get it? How'd I get what? How'd you get your car to drive for rental on on Uber? Uh, Uber. They, yeah, they, they, they um, have the like, service. It, it's, it's a little advertising thing, and it's like three different companies that you can work with. Yeah, and gotcha. Then, um, they plug you in. Uh, then you just hit that company, but I don't remember exactly the name of the company. It was like three different companies, and I just did it. And then, gotcha. boom, yeah, but at, after a certain amount of time, I gained a relationship with somebody, so I don't really pay nothing. Gotcha. Because I, I ain't got to pay insurance. Like, I ain't got to pay for this oil change. I ain't got to do nothing. Mm, I like that. So like, I like that. Because overall, $80 a week. Um, That's why somebody that bought their car, it just, it just <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because the thing about it, just like I said, I wrecked one of their cars, and I just would have got another one. <laughs> right. Oh, you, you said you still have the other car? No. What? What car? No, the you, one only, you only drive the one, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. All right, for sure, for sure. All right, cool. All right, that's that's all I needed. I appreciate Had, like, a long way to go before you reached your peak. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I had no clientele. You okay. Know, I had no clientele, and um, it, it took a while. It took maybe six months to build to build trust in the community and to build clientele. So, thousands of these credit cards, you're literally taking these little holograms, and you're physically like placing them on each of these credit each cards one, with your hands, like one. hand by hand. Yeah, each one, each credit card, each shit, each card's dude. How handmade. long does that take? How long does it take to do one card? Oh, I had it down. I could, I could print one card in less than five minutes. I could print I could everything. Print, print I it. Can, stick everything onto it. Yeah. Well, yeah. See, I would already have all the. I would already have all the the templates lined up in Photoshop. Okay. Like ready to go. All my windows open. Bomb, 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 bomb. You know what I mean? And then I would load maybe like ten or fifteen cards in the printer, mm-hmm. and I would be like, okay, print in sequence. Print one. Print two. Print three. Print four. Print five. So then it would it would run out all the cards, print them front and back. You know okay. what I mean? It would put the put all and the, the only thing I really had to do myself was emboss, and do the hologram. So I would have to physically place the hologram myself and use a heat press to adhere it to the plastic. Mm-hmm. And then I would have to 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 manually emboss the card myself. And this See? is before I got the auto embosser, where I could just throw them in and do a batch, and it would you know run a fifty or hundred at a time. Damn. Yeah. So when I got down, when I got really efficient at it, I could maybe do a hundred cards in an hour, about an hour. I could print hologram and emboss about a hundred. So cards. you make close to a hundred, a thousand cards in a day. Yeah. Easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm cranking away, but then, you know, sometimes you have problems. Mm-hmm. The printer starts, gets too hot and starts fucking melting cards and mm-hmm. printing shit sideways, you know. So you've yeah. always got little issues. Right. Yeah, like that you got to deal with. But, yeah, I could do a thousand cards in a day. What's the on most a good cards day? that you did in a day, you think? 
that I've manufactured in one day. Mm-hmm. I think I've done about 800, six, between six and 800 in wow. one day, you know, on a good day. If mm-hmm. everything was going right and I had mm-hmm. all my equipment operating mm-hmm. properly. Yeah. Okay, so how did you start getting this, getting this out there on, on online or on these black market, on these, uh, um, on the dark web and start getting customers to buy shitloads of them? Yeah, so, so the initially the first uh, Carter forum that I was on, I went ahead and I just made my first post. Here I am, new vendor. Right. Um, here's my product. You know, you post pictures. It's like a whole, well, it was like a whole thing, not anymore. And then, you know, I would get maybe like one or two orders a month, mm-hmm. you know. And then once those orders came in and like people started leaving positive feedback, it just kind of snowballed after that. And then I remember the day, because I would only get maybe one or two orders, but I remember the day I woke up and I checked, I think I checked one of my emails and I had 15 or 20 20 orders waiting for me and I couldn't believe it. How much per, how much is $1000. One order is $1000. Yeah. For how many cards? Uh 100. 100 cards. Yeah, it's $20 a card, 100 cards, two drivers or you get I'd make IDs for you however many you wanted. And then I would do I think it was like 100 cards embossed, everything encoded, numbers and IDs and IDs. Yeah. Holy but shit. But I wouldn't make a hundred IDs. Obviously I'd make like two or three. Okay. You know. Or whatever that whatever they wanted. But it I mean, you know, so there, there was a cap on that. So the IDs have to obviously correspond with the credit cards. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because say you go to a store and you make a purchase, um, and it's over like three or four hundred dollars. Uh, like a lot of stores, like people don't realize this, but a lot of stores, like say Best Buy, you go mm-hmm. to Best Buy, if you make a purchase over three hundred dollars. They ask physically ask for your card, mm. and they physically take your card, and they, they go on their POS machine. Now, their POS machine, the point-of-sale service machine, won't let them process the sale unless the four digits on the front of the card match what's actually encoded to the card. Mm. So it's like, a, it's like a security step. So what they do is they take the card, and they punch the numbers into the computer because you've already swiped it. So they're going to punch these numbers in. And if these numbers on the front of the card don't match what's being swiped, it's automatic fraud. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to have the corresponding plastic to match the, to match the numbers, and you have to have the ID because they're going to ask for, for ID. Because, A, I don't have the people's PIN number, so you're not processing it as debit. You always have to process it as credit, even though it's a debit card. Got it. So they have to have ID. When you process anything for credit, they always ask for ID, always, especially if it's a big purchase. Right. You know. Huh. Louis Vuitton, you go to Louis Vuitton and try and buy a a $2,000 handbag on a credit card, they're going to ask you for ID. Right, right. 1,000%. Yeah. You know? Even if you you go in there looking the part, they're still Mm going to ask. They always ask for ID. Right. You know? So you have to have the ID to match the card. Everything Mm -hmm. has the jive. The numbers, everything has the to, to be coherent. Okay, so is there a minimum number of cards they had to buy for one order? So is the minimum a hundred car minimum? 100? It was a thousand dollar minimum order. Okay, so it was a hundred cards, and it's a lot to profit from any type of racketeering, uh, you know, activities. And then in B, it says it is unlawful for any person employed by or associated with any enterprise to conduct or participate in directly 
or indirectly such enterprise through a pattern of racketeering activity. So basically, once again, saying that if you're involved in a criminal organization, it's it's illegal for you to act on behalf of that organization and go out and get you some money. Then C, finally, it says, It is unlawful for any person to conspire or endeavor to violate any of the provisions of subsection A or B of this code section. So, that's just saying that it's illegal for you to do any provisions that's within A or B. Now, we say all that to say, what in the world was Hood Rich Pablo Juan doing? If it's a RICO charge, that means there's more people involved, and this case is going to be crazy, man. Now, Hood Rich Pablo Juan is extra flossy, man. If you look at his Instagram, you would think that he was on top as a rapper. You would think he was with the big boys. I'm talking about with the chains, the money, always shopping. And like I said before, man, we going to see this a lot, man. There's going to be a lot of rappers that are going to be out here getting hemmed, hemmed up, man. Because, check it, you just had people, mad people getting getting caught for PPP frauds, trying to do unemployment frauds. I mean, check out the videos. I did a video about uh, Baby Blue from Pretty Ricky. He had a PPP scam. Who could forget Nuke Bizzle, the Memphis rapper who was living it up in L.A.? Man, dude was doing a unemployment scam. Now, a lot of these rappers are getting hemmed up because of the pandemic, man. It's a hard time for everybody, man. We all putting our pennies together, saving money, and trying to make sure we can make it to the next day, man. That's just what goes down in a situation like this. I mean, the whole world stops, the whole world stops. But, man, these cats still want to be flossing. They still want to be getting the money. They still want to be posing for the videos. They still want to shoot videos. And one part of me understands because they're entertainers. Then the other part of me is like, man, it ain't worth it. Because if there's one thing that folks are looking for right now, it's folks trying to commit crime. They got all day to look for you, man. They were looking anyway. But now, I mean, there's so many, so less people on the street. So many people hunkered down. You're just sitting out there as a sitting duck, man. If you're doing anything illegal, stop because they're going to be like, man, oh, this fool doesn't think we see this. Like, uh, you're scamming? Oh, you get money right now? Yeah, it's going to last about a week, man. Just like with Baby Blue, man, from Pretty Ricky. They said that he had, uh, he had just bought the Ferrari, like, two or three days before that and posted it on Instagram. Man, these folks are watching, man. They are watching your Instagram and all that, and people see when things don't add up. And hopefully, I'm going to give Rich Pablo Juan the benefit of the doubt. Hopefully, he didn't do anything crazy. I'm going to assume the, all these charges against him are just alleged, and man, dude was really a mistaken identity or something of that nature, man. I'm throwing him some bell, man. I'm going I'm, to I'm, I'm throw him some bell here. But other than that, man, I'm going to stay tuned to see exactly how this story plays out. And I'm pretty sure I'll be doing another video on this. Now, with that, this being your boy, Big Man, please hit that like button. Please hit that subscribe button. 
and make sure you hit that notification bell because I keep dropping some of the hottest content on YouTube. And we out of here. Peace. Well, you do the six months of boot camp, and they also give you five years probation. Yeah. Five years deferred. Make sure you say deferred adjudicated probation. Deferred probation. And it seems like at that point, that's when you actually turn your life around, once you got out. Oh, I, I, I spent all of my 20s submerged in the criminal elements of society trying to find an identity. Man, when I got out of TYC, I, my life was turned around. When I came home at, at 21 after doing those seven years, all of my childhood issues have been resolved. I've been getting the world's best therapy and counseling for the last seven years. All I, I, I knew what my triggers were, right? I knew what would cause me to recidivate, right, to, to commit another crime. I knew what my red flags and my triggers were. Man, I was a 21-year-old kid. When I got out in 1998, it wasn't no such thing as re-entry programs like we hear the word. The word re-entry hadn't even been spoken of yet, let alone juvenile re-entry. The statistics says almost 90% of children who get out of the Texas juvenile system is re-arrested within one year. Just like 85% go back in adult prison within five years, right? So it's a high number of juveniles being rearrested after getting out because the lack of community programs and support for people coming back to the community. So when I came back to the community, I fell in line with the culture. It wasn't nothing to, to, to it wasn't no alternatives. So I was I was changed at 21. Man, I hadn't shot up nobody's house. I hadn't I hadn't robbed. I hadn't done I hadn't been violent since leaving TYC. So I was changed. It's just that when I came back to my culture, I, I needed something from the community. My community failed me. So I went back to what I I went back to the culture, right? I went back to our culture. Fucking hoes. Pardon, having babies, making her get an abortion, having another baby, make her get an abortion. That's part of the culture. Have a baby over her, take care of this baby, find out that baby ain't yours, leave her, go over. That's the culture. So I spent all of my 20s submerged in the criminal elements of society trying to find an identity, homie. I'm still a fatherless, I'm still a boy with no identity. The gang, I joined the gang in the juvenile facility. So in order for me to get that identity, I got to go back to lockup because I developed the gang name in lockup. So when I get out here, I ain't got no gang reputation. I went to jail for murder. So I either got to be a killer because that's what I'm known for out here. Man, they killed that white man. So as I'm trying to find an identity, I hang with these niggas. They sell crack. So guess what? I'm going to sell crack. I might fall out with these niggas, go over here with my other niggas. They sell weed. So we go, I'm going to sell weed. Get with these other niggas. They rob. So I robbed a little bit. Get with these other niggas. They home invade. So I home invade a little bit. 
cut into my pimp partners and get some new game. Well, shit, man, this pimping sound way better. So, shit, I go with the pimping. I, I needed an identity, right? So it wasn't until I started having children at around age 25, 26, I got an identity, man. I'm somebody's daddy. And so I wanted to give my son something that I never had. And, man, I don't know a motherfucking thing about being a good father or a bad father. I don't know shit about no father. I don't know shit about being no man. So I ain't never tried to be no man. All I wanted to be was a nigga, a street nigga or a real nigga, or a stomp-down motherfucking pimp. So now I got this little boy, and I want to give this boy something that I ain't never had. Just a motherfucker to be there. Just a present father. That's all I ever wanted to be, man, was just present. So in my desire to be present, I mean, I can't go to prison. I mean, I can't go to jail. So, man, I did everything that I would do and knew to do so I can be present for this boy. So the boy gave me identity. I'm a daddy now. And I found a meaning in being somebody's father. So now I can quit the bullshit. I've been bullshit, man, trying to fit in. All my, I've been, I done damn near threw my life away, man, because I don't, I ain't know who I was. I ain't know what, where I come from. Been trying to fit in over here, doing some stupid shit, man. Trying to fit in, getting tricked. And all I ever wanted was a nigga to play my daddy. At the end of the day, that's all I ever wanted was a nigga to play my daddy. So now I'm daddy. Now I'm this little boy superhero. Man, I ain't finna lead this, baby. So NRS section 201.180 regulates and outlaws incest in the state of Nevada. And incest is defined as marrying or engaging in sexual intercourse with someone who is closer than a half-blood cousin or a second cousin. In actuality, these cases are rarely prosecuted unless some allegation of impropriety comes to the surface. So if, there's, if the relationship goes bad and an accusation flies and law enforcement gets wind of it, you might actually find yourself being charged with incest in the state of Nevada. And the, the state of Nevada treats incest as a very serious crime with penalties ranging up to life in prison. Sometimes the system gets it wrong. Sometimes judges make bad rulings. Prosecutors can act unethically. Sometimes defense lawyers take on representations where they're not competent to do it. Sometimes a jury just returns the wrong verdict. Well, fortunately, here in Nevada, uh, there, there is often a second chance at justice, and it's called an appeal of a criminal conviction. And at Las Vegas Defense Group, we help clients to pursue this recourse to get a second chance at justice. Filing an appeal is uh, quite a complicated process. First, within 30 days and only within 30 days, you have to file what's known as a uh, notice of appeal. 
That can only be done after the formal paperwork has been filed by the court, known as a judgment of conviction. The Nevada Supreme Court looks at the trial record, examines everything that happened at trial, and, and has to decide was there an error or a problem that occurred at trial such that the defendant w was not able to get a fair trial? Were there errors in the decisions the judge made? Were there errors in prosecutorial misconduct? Was there not sufficient evidence to sustain the conviction? I've currently appealed approximately 10 cases to the Nevada Supreme Court. Quite a few of those are pending right now. One success story we had was when our client was found to ha have had redundant convictions. He was facing a sentence both for um, sexual assault and for lewdness. We were able to have uh, one of the convictions overturned. However, the chances of a case being overturned are somewhat small. However, it's our goal to try to find the best opportunity for appeal. And we filed that appeal on your behalf.